biggest show of the year we're doing our wrap-up on the crash courts podcast if you drunkenly wandered onto our website and not sure where you are you are on the crash courts podcast or listening to it at least and you're about to be assaulted by music um so much music. we're doing it a little differently this year last year we did do a christmas album but we kind of figured let's just talk about music you know talk about what our ratings this year our best our worst and everything in between um that and you know after you know after torturing with John with the CeeLo Green album last year, I figured it'd be nicer this year. I'm still reeling from that, and that's because the stations have picked it up. Yeah, I still wanted to do the exact opposite. I wanted to rather than pick up you know a, a popular, relatively selling album that was the CeeLo Green. Yeah. I wanted to do the I, bad ones yeah. because there's so much bad out there. there I is. thought it would be only right to you know give it some. Give it some critic time. Maybe and, something. And they get enough airtime. They need. They deserve critic time. Afterwards, it's a, it's a ratio thing. Afterwards, they never would have found your body. Uh, he that's, really doesn't like that. That's implication. Yeah, apparently, he's. He really he, doesn't want to do he's it. He's a Grinch. You're a mean one. People will touch me with a stick shorter than thirty and nine and a half feet. So, I'm not a full Grinch. Ones longer than that are actually pretty hard to come by. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's just that measurement or less. Yeah, exactly. Um, to, to kick it off, though, I want to talk about, you know, in this reflection of the the best and worst of the year, we obviously cherish our rating, rating system quite a bit, and it's different per person, but, you know, we try and stick to within a realm of our own rules, at least. There are articles cited on the website about how we rate, and um, we never change the ratings. Once we've rated it, that's what it is. But we like at the end of the year to talk about... Well, if we could go back and change it, right, what would change it? It's a healthy mix of things. It's a yeah. mix of what you feel at the moment. Because let's face it, there's a lot of people out there. They will listen to an album or a song once, they create their judgment, and then that's it. Yeah. That's it. A lot of people do not give it that second look. And if you don't give it that second look, that, I mean, you add up all the, all the people that do that, that affects the music industry pretty, pretty harshly. In other words, you need to look at both. You need to look at the long term and you need to look at the short term. So the way our, our rating system, as posted in the archive, is concerned, that's relatively short term. Relatively. Because yeah. we, of course, give ourselves well, like a week. But this is giving us a year. Well, yeah. That's what this well, episode's some about. Of them. Some of them. And some I mean, of them are a month. Some of them may be a day. Some of them got gypped, like, for instance, last week's episode. They got gypped a little bit. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the thing about doing that, though, is it's also for us to kind of give this information that as we've listened to it and it either has grown on us more or less you know we want to kind of keep updated to where we stand with it or information we may have come by that changed our view too because sometimes music is just an impression from an outside source too can affect how you feel about a song too that's the true other, without ever listening the other part is that we've been listening to a lot of these albums over and over again some of them i've actually heard in the last week like four or five times and it does alter your perception when we really bombarding ourselves with all the music we've done 40 plus albums we're not quite 50 but 40 plus albums yep it's kind of changes because you can go from good to bad or bad to bad or good to good and you realize well 
yeah, maybe we might have been a little bit wrong. But in my case, and I will start with the one that I did love. In, in his case, everything I, is right. I'm gonna no, everything I'm is gonna right. Start with right. one that I do think I definitely rated high, and this is the, really the only one I'm gonna knock down, and that's Deep Chords Somer. I gave it a three two five, and upon repetition, it's not quite three for me. I will knock it down to a two seven five. I still think it's a leaps and a bounds what you guys think it is. But I realize it does have a, a little bit too much mainstream in its conception in it. I, and this will be spoken later, am going to follow that up directly by saying that I lowered the same album, Somer <laughs> by Deep Chord, from a 1.5 to a 1. Wow. And that will be, that will be explained It'll later, come up in, later this, in this in podcast. In our categorical choices. Um, so my one that I lowered, since we're starting with ones that we've lowered, was actually him's Tears on Tape. Upon re-listening to it recently, I realized what I identified with was a more nostalgic reminiscent of him. Because him's greatest hits, I still enjoy. I like it. I listen to. But re-listening to Tears on Tape, the only thing that allows me to even remember that record is the intro and ending that had to do with a cassette player. That cleverness stuck. The rest of the music in between, not so much. So I'm lowering it from a 3.25 to a 2.5. That's a big dip. I just... It, it didn't leave an impact. I mean, even something like Bare Naked Ladies, there were a couple songs that got stuck in my head and left some kind of an impact. This, yeah, that's true. That really it didn't leave much of an impact with me. Just, yeah. But it was so such a weird middle ground there yeah. that I didn't even consider that as an option. I could retrospectively lower it as well. But, unfortunately, you won't get to hear about that until next year. Because yeah. these things are, are forever changing as a, as a nice little testament to uh, the ever-changing qualities of music. Um, I'll start on our jump up as well because I only have a few changes this year. Because I was actually fairly content with my choices and how I reviewed things this year, which was nice because mm -hmm. I had a, quite a bit more regrets last year. Yeah. Um, and that's one I would bump up. And I've actually mentioned this a few times on the podcast. Queens of the Stone Age, ellipses like clockwork. Um, I had found out information that we weren't privy to when we first uh, reviewed the album, which now I kind of go out of my way to try and get more information. But a friend of the podcast... Alon, also known as Future Money, had informed me because this was one of his record, favorite records of the year. Queens of the Stone Age, like clockwork, a lot of it had to do with the lead singer's short time being dead. He was actually dead for a very short period of time, mm -hmm. and it was such a bizarre experience, he used song to explain it. So going back and listening to the record with that bit of information, the oddities that we kind of criticized seemed to make a lot more sense in context. Got you. So I'm boosting it from a 3.75 to a 4.25. I think that it stands up. It's a great record. And I, I've really, I really do love a lot of the songs on the album. Speaking of something that in retrospect I, I really enjoyed and kind of became more in-depth for me, uh, Boards of Canada. And I raved about it continuously for a few weeks because while I, my first impression made it a little weak, I'm going... Up uh, a full quarter point to a four five. This is just on the cusp cusp for me, between something darn good, really good, and something that's truly great. It it's still one of my favorite albums of the year. Still one of my more listened albums of the year. And it's still got that that little half step, not quite good enough to be in that upper tier territory. I just can't stop listening to it at times. It's still an album that I sit down and just enjoy 
glad you like it. I brought you that album. I'm really glad you, you, you zoned in on that, considering we wanted to go into an ambient spell, and I, I couldn't have hoped for a, a more perfect way to start off that. We went in different directions after that, but that was a good start, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, I have one I would also like to raise. Uh, I think we were all a little bit harsh back in Nine Inch Nails' Hesitation Marks. I, I agree that it maybe had not was not the most fully formed idea. It definitely got a little bit hazy around toward the end there. But I think we were too critical about the general concept, that, that type of techno-based industrial sound that he was doing, I don't think was quite as cliche as we made it out to be. So it was just a little bit too harsh. I had given it a 2.25. I'm bumping it to a 3. I think it's a perfectly average album. I was... I was almost going to do that, but upon reflection, that one I just I just couldn't really change. I, I, I still felt in my gut with that one. Yeah, I still didn't really like it either. Funny sh- story about that one is, so we have a guest coming on the podcast in the new year named Hops. He's a hip-hop artist. Um, I'd given him the info for the podcast because he wanted to check it out, and to, it was right after you'd done the name change, con- the name convention change. Um, so he looked for an album that he knew to listen to first, mm-hmm. and he went to that one. And within minutes after telling me he was listening to that episode, he uh, messages me on Facebook going, dude, you're killing me. This was my favorite record of the year. You guys are killing me. Uh-huh. Which was really funny. I mean... That's he, the thing. It got really, really high reviews. And he, and he, But he was very lighthearted about it. He's like, I guess you guys just really didn't like, don't like Nine Inch Nails. And I said, that's the thing. I do like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. But it was a nice conversation piece. And what led up to me actually having... Well, I remember defending it in some... Ex- I was... I, I did, it was your pick. I don't... I remember not thinking I was going to like it, yeah. but it turned out that I was the most defensive of it. Yeah. Just because, you know, I've got my idea of what's cliche and what's not, and that seemed to be your guy's number one attack against it. And, eh, I've heard more cliche than that. So it's a matter of, if it was a matter of gauging perspective. Yeah, I, I feel so. the need to just defend it in that stance. It's I, average. I think also me and John had heard more innovative work from the same artist, which is what Exactly. Also, so fact, it was the, uh, the immediate tanking that yeah. for... It's all context. It's yeah, all in context. it absolutely is. Right. Um, do you guys have any other bump-ups? Yes, and I have two big bump-ups. Well, not really big, but two retrospective perfect album ideas. Not that they are a perfect album, because even a five-star doesn't have to be perfect, but these are two albums that I truly will make five. Godsticks, of course. It was only .1 off anyway. And Godsticks just is that massive monstrosity, hugeness music that really... Even upon first listening to these repetitions I've had, I just love. So you're telling me that based on you, we now giving Godsticks five, 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 and five? Yep. We, we, that we, is unprecedented. We technically, we're not, because we don't actually change them. Technically. So technically, it's still four nine. But I love That's it right. more. I love it more. That's but right. he does love it on more. On the flip side. Hell, maybe in ten years, we'll average together our, um, our, our year in review ratings with the initial ratings. Because, yeah, yeah, you know... Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go back through all the episodes and do that, go for it. We'll worry see, about that in there, ten years. There's the short term and the long term, if you caught it. <laughs> but the other one, also brought to us by Steve, and he'll be very happy about this, is a, an album that is similar and long and vain in another one of those ambient albums, Scaled the Summit Migration. Ooh. I, upon repetition and reflection, am just more thoroughly entrenched. This started at a 4.75, but it really has more in-depth to it than I saw even on the first listen. It's just an amazing piece of work. 
and I love it. I, I this is another one's. I don't know what it is, but it seems that me being the lyrical guy, I'm falling in love with so much more lightness on the words, <laughs> so much more focus on the instruments. Well, it'll, it'll come across that I'm definitely becoming more lyrical-oriented, so we're getting to know each other better, isn't that just sweet? It's beautiful. What did you move it to? I, I, when five. Had it? You 475 to 5. Wow. Yeah. So, on retrospect, I got three five-star albums this year. All right. Interesting. All right, so that's... Uh, that's that, it for our for our updated uh, albums. Yeah, our changes. All right, um, that's it. That's solid until next year. Um, now, so let's get into um, the point of our year in review. Uh, when we do our album reviews, you know, we talk about the record and, and what we hear and what we listen to, but we don't get to talk in depth so much about the best and worst and give it that full attention. And that you know, we're because we're working with talking about the album and then talking about a topic. Today the topic is the music and and the best and worst of this year, you know. Well, to be immersed in the album, I do still think is the best, which is of why course. you'll never hear more more detail about the album than what we do on that specific date. And we'll try to keep you updated with the numbers as we go through here. So try to remember that as we go through. Just give me a head nod, and I'll tell you the number in case you're curious about checking out that album. Also, something I want to say really quick is this is our first complete year of the pod- podcast. Last That's year, true. we had only been doing it about half a year. Exactly. So th- there was a lot more to go through this time, especially since, and I was joking about this earlier, albums, like some of the first couple albums we did th- this year, like Garbage, Garbage's album or Robbie Williams' album or Paper Chase that we did with the Wall Street Players, I'd forgotten was this year because it was just, those were back in January. Um and it was just kind of interesting to actually see what our arc of choosing things and how the podcast has even evolved in just a year. Um, so why don't we get right into our first categorical choice? All right, we're organizing this in somewhat of a conversational manner. So if it seems a little jumping around, we're going to try to organize this in terms of the light, fluffy stuff and gradually get a little bit more serious as we go along. And I couldn't think of a... Well, none of us could think of a lighter and, and fluffier beginning than the catchiest song of the year. As catchy as they come. So the idea behind this category is, you know, we always talk about how catchy a song is and how it kind of just, it's an, I like to call it an earworm. What I mean by that is a song that gets in your head and you can't get it's out. There, it's just yeah. forever. One of the, it's not, it's not my catchiest for the year, but one that I've recently found to be quite catchy and I, there will actually be a, a soon to be posted article about it is, um, or by this time, maybe the article had already been posted. I'm doing an article on Steam Powered Giraffe's cover of Rihanna's Diamonds. Which has been stuck in my head for weeks. And it's all based on the spine. It's a, an amazing cover. And yeah, it's, it's almost tumor-like how much I've been listening to it as well. The video is, is astounding. But even hearing the spine harmonizing with himself in his tenor and his uh, bass is just so intriguing and cool and awesome and I kind of want to be his best friend <laughs> um, but so this idea of catchy songs that just kind of stick with you so Steve what was your catchy song of the year alright I was pretty pretty shameless with this one although there were a lot of contenders because oh, honestly even stuff. as we've been going on just the last half of this year has been really really strong in terms of catchy stuff yeah. and I'll give you a head nod uh, Matt a lot of I was really between some of the songs off the fairly recent uh, Hello Goodbye album, Everything is Debatable, which we did in episode 68. So, uh, those were contenders, Yeah. but I'm going with a song that's absolutely everywhere. So even if there's something promoting one of its reasons for being 
uh, the Katsu song of the year, it's sheer popularity and that everyone is playing it. Okay. Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. This song one. is absolutely everywhere. On the face of it, I would say the reason that it's around everywhere is just because Monkey See, Monkey Do, everyone follows the number one rap party song and plays it to death. But when you listen to this song, there's a damn good reason. It's not just catchy, it's irresistible. And the reason it's on my list is because it's a lot more complicated than anyone really probably gives it credit for. It doesn't just pick a fun riff and stick with it. It changes, it moves, then it halts, and then it introduces another, more catchier section. It's driven by these brass interludes that summon in the next section and keep it all moving like a parade. And a parade that I kind of want to march in. So... Kudos, Macklemore. I have a similar reasoning, though this is a new song that's still one of the undergrounds. Hatch Fever on the Mark III Steam Powered Giraffe album. I cannot get the idea of Blues Clues meets Automatons out of my head when I'm here listening to this song. That's just what I see. And over and over again, this new uh, individual joining the band... And that first note and that last belt that he brings to life. The whole idea of, here's a new playmate. And I feel that playmate. I want, like the spine, I want to be friends with this guy. He seems like a lot of fun. I, I would equate him to, like, the best toy you could ever have. But it's not just that. It's, the vocals are great. It's steam-powered giraffe. Of course they are. The lyrics are just beautifully descriptive. So you can easily visualize anything, and it's the little tidbits. It's the randomness of his vocal work, the whole tear open your chest and let me into your heart. The idea that hatch fever is a disease, but not really a disease because it's kind of good. And that one part where they go get down with the robots and jump right into dubstep that just goes, what are you doing? That there's so much coloration in this song that I just, every time I'm just sitting in the car driving, I find myself humming that for weeks now i find myself just keep replaying it over and over in my head i thoroughly just can't get it out of my mind funny thing about that song also is that there's actually a lyric in the very beginning of the song you know where they go let's get ready to get catchy and then they go la 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 and get that rhythm stuck in your head of course which is very very kind of um meta if you will um my catchy song of the year actually goes back to january um a song that that I was obsessed with for months on end. I did a song shot about it. It led me to want to do that album. But it's actually the song Candy by Robbie Williams from that album. The big single. That huge single. And the video was, was very engrossing. But for me, it's just this this perfect storm of, you know, horn playing and drum and bass and, you know, catchy riffs. And the lyrics are just this, this fun, boppy tune that you can't get out of your head i feel like horns are making a, a, a bigger foyer into modern pop music yeah for instance that's that's one of the things that was in mine as well it was those those brass interludes so bring in brass and i feel like it is that parade aspect that yeah, may have absolutely. drawn, drawn uh, drove driven this song as well as yours yeah and uh and that one was my choice easily just because of all the songs i'd been obsessed with this year and i go through waves that one really gripped me for a long, long time, and it was very reflective of an album that also had lots of catchy tunes on it as well. Fair enough. All right, so we've gone through that category. The next we're looking at is similar in a way, but it's not quite the same. The Guilty Pleasure 
First of all, we're not talking about a song now, we're talking about an album. A whole album that you consider to be somewhat of a guilty pleasure. It's not for its catchiness, it's for, I guess, where it rates in the grand scheme of things, considering we do such a thorough, subjective, merge it with the objective uh, in our reviews and our final ratings, this one you kind of have to take out of the picture. You know that if you were really looking at it objectively, maybe you would not put it so high, but at the same time, you're listening to it pretty much all the time, or at least most of the time. So, somebody else start here. <laughs> I will. This one was something I brought to the table, and it was a rehash of an older style. Uh, not too old. Chronicles of Marnia by Marnie Stern. And the reason this is a guilty pleasure is because, to be frank, while the vocals are great, in my opinion, I realize they can be a little abrasive. While the tapping I find to be thoroughly enjoyable, I realize that kind of guitar work ain't really for everybody. It's kind of a little boppy, a little bit too much of that teen idea. And it makes me feel like I'm younger than I am, that I'm trying to be reliving my childhood a little bit too much. Mm. It's a little bit too upbeat. I have that feeling I should be more serious, but this is just a really fun album. Regardless of the lyrics, regardless of anything else, just the tone of it is just, it seems a little childish. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Oh, I follow you. In fact, if, if, if you're through, that's a perfect segue in, into my choice. Which is? Because I... Completely different album, but for very much the same reasons. I chose the album Power More by Power More. That was episode 42. This is, it was almost the same exact thing. I felt it was kind of, it's, it's not me anymore. Like, it could have been me, maybe back in high school, but there's nothing wrong with that. At this, I know that I'm probably looking for a more mature sound these days, and, you know, there is kind of that, that teeny bopper element, just a little bit to Power More. Or at least like the teen, you know, emo starting to get... It's adolescent trouble, it seems. Or at least that's the sound. Of course, she, in fact, in the album, was sort of pushing her own her own envelope pretty far, such that it was almost her attempt to get into a more mature sound, but still trying to keep it relative to her primary fan base, and I really respect her for that. But the way I figure it, sometimes it's okay to want to feel young again and full of energy. Actually, that that's always okay, come to think of it. And there's something so shamelessly rousing about this album that I feel kind of just like throwing the book out the window. I mean, I feel like it's okay to return to this every once in a while because that that attitude feels so cathartic. It's I was listening to it nonstop in the car at the at the time that we listened to it and several times since. It's actually one of the one of the few albums of this year that I have burned to a CD. Hmm, interesting. That's a stamp of some kind of approval, I imagine. Yeah. It um, might actually make me get into accidents. But it's that <laughs> level of guilty pleasure. Um, for me, my guilty pleasure was, um, in in relation to John's, um, was to an album I brought to the table that I ended up loving regardless of how I actually objectively rated it, which was The Life Acoustic by Everlast. This is 65. This is an album that, after listening to it with the group, I acknowledged that it was a bit repetitive and there was stuff to it that... that on, on the pantheon of music might not have held up. But the simple fact that me and a lot of people I know had just shamelessly enjoyed this record. And I think it's because it was just the right fit the right time. It was We wanted a, a f- catchy acoustic record. We found one. And I, I listened to it a ton. I mean, when I downloaded it on my phone, it, I probably listened to it 
every day for a week when I first got it. And then even after we reviewed it, I went back and listened to it constantly. Just something about this album I really loved from his delivery of the lyrics to his sincerity of this kind of coffee house kind of version of these songs to even, I mean, the thing that really hooked me was how ridiculous his cover, acoustic cover of, of, um, jump around was. And for the reason, same reasons John didn't like it. I did like it. And I really pulled me into this record and made me want to listen to it so much. And, you know, there's no better identifier for guilty pleasure than just something that you shamelessly enjoy. There you go. Everybody sees their guilty pleasures in a slightly different way, and that's, that's I think, what's kind of important about it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a time to move this in a bit of a different direction here. Because, of course, music is what we do. Music is where it's at. But music isn't always just where it's at. A lot of times, people listen to music for more of the message than the actual enjoyment of the process of of listening to how the instruments progress and everything and one of those is of course social importance this has been relevant for a pretty long time and it's been especially relevant since the 1960s i guess we can have people like bob dylan to to thank for that there's been a lot of a lot of social angst i'd say the, the kind of angst that's discourse discourse okay actually yes Discourse, but there's angst that that yes. that definitely um Anytime breeds discord, that discourse. There's angst and vice versa. There you are. So we're looking at which which album as a whole, as the, thematically speaking, packs the greatest punch to society as a whole. What's what's packing the greatest message? So socially, I mean, so this is our social impact category, yep. if I'm understanding correctly. Um, for me, actually, it's funny. I had a clear contender for something like this. But it changed very recently. Mm. The album we listened to last week by Beyonce just blew me away on so many levels. A, from what I was expecting from Beyonce. Because, I mean, she's a well-known pop star. It's like when Madonna's putting out a new album. Up until recently, you expect a certain thing. Beyonce's at that level. You expect a tried-and-true pop formula, great vocals, you know, and a strong singing. You know, a, a, a somewhat positive message, but not the, it mostly candy-coated. But this album was anything but. I mean, from the first track, Pretty Hurt, she attacks how superficial this country is and how, you know, beauty can get in the way and how it shouldn't just be about the superficial layer. From her songs about her sexuality and how it's okay as a woman to be as overly sexual as a man. There's nothing wrong with being being that sexually active to many more messages or even on a social level of using new media to your best ability. This is an album which we hinted at but now we know for a fact it was released with 17 music videos 17 music videos it's unheard of and i think that the calling it a visual album and wanting to take it in this direction of the image and my vision is just as important as my music mm. is kind of a brilliant and new thing that i'm excited to see if anyone else follows suit with but to just see herself open her heart and and talk about either topics that aren't socially acceptable or bringing awareness to things that people are ignoring was very impressive to me. And, or even the song about her unborn child, the, the, the miscarriage she had socially. I mean, I can't think of anyone who's really written a song about that. And that's very impressive to me. All right. I respect the reasons for choosing that. It's, I mean, it's a strange thing. Of course, when you're talking about, uh, socially impact it kind of depends which social strata you're in yeah you know what's really going to affect you the most and i i definitely enjoyed uh that beyonce album on on 
partially on that level, but I think I enjoyed it more as an autobiography, which to me isn't quite so socially impactful. Yes, there were social messages in those songs, but some of it was a little bit tried and true to me, you know? Not not groundbreaking, but still sweet in their delivery. There was one more, and it's kind of the obvious choice here. It goes back to my uh, first choice with the catchy song, because for all of its catchiness, there's really, I think, only one album of this year that was the most, that packed the biggest social punch, and that was The Heist by Malcolm Moore and Ryan Lewis back in episode 47. And it really has to do, the reason I found this a little bit more original, I think, uh, comparatively, is specifically on the topic of attacking the record industries, which is a strange one, considering that so much of the music that has been released in the past 40 years revolves around being released under under labels. Therefore, why would you go to the trouble to insulting your own label? But of course, he's in the position where he doesn't have his own label, so he goes right for the throat, and it, it's really refreshing. Really, really refreshing to see how he... Uh, how he spins many of them as shysters. I I think that's something that hasn't really been covered. People often talk about it, but it, like the the artistic industry is really really tough when you're dealing with people who are really so far removed from the art and they're really just focused on the money. So to me, it was it was a pretty bold move that he did, and that amongst many other things, it had to do more of his delivery that was uh more original to me. I agree with both of you and. To speak your overlapping, the delivery of Beyonce was pretty, pretty solid in her chosen medium. The, the, what she was attacking was really, really interesting, uh, like the ideas of sexuality, the ideas of talking about things that you don't talk about, such as the loss of a child. At the same time, the heist was very autobiographical. Everything was told. Oh, well, that's true. That's a good point there. Um, it's just, it was more my, my matter of enjoying it. Like, I was enjoying Beyonce's more in the autobiographical sense while I was immediately being able to take something away and from this, the Macklemore album. That's, that's where I really have to agree with Steve on this one. It, for me, it is the heist. There's just so much, so many different topics that are, that are tackled here from, uh, orientation to the way children act and the way they shouldn't to consumerism to alcoholism not just in the very personal sense but in the grander scale of things and it was it had that personal feet uh feeling but it really did reach out and try to explain it in a macro sense that just touched me like jimmy iovine the whole insulting of of the record labels as you were saying or same love the whole attack on the way we treat homosexuality thin line the whole idea that you know sometimes it's people just grow apart and that's okay there's so many things that are touched here thrift shop wings gold those three attacking consumerism there's just so much that they're talking about about society i just love that and that's that's something that i've always been into born and raised on 60 degree uh 60 year old music that I, I, I just, it always speaks to me. Yeah, and I'm going to tack on something to that also, considering you mentioned delivery. I think, um, granted, rap is not my, it's not my primary genre. It's not immediately what I'm going for, to, but since this is the category, I mean, for a social message, it, I, I think it really was the more appropriate medium because, let's face it, you're dealing with a lot more just text 
period. I remember, of course, considering we were uh, reviewing a rap album, we really had to have the lyrics like in front of us because I, that, actually, I knew that was going to be a, a primary thing, and it was a lot of pages. It was the more pages than we ever had to print out for any I, other album, and it's just... It, sometimes more really just is more. I mean, there's more stuff to look at. Therefore, it's the message is going to be uh, elaborated. And he was his, he's the master of elaboration. Wordsmith. There you go. Wordsmithing. That I coined. That's, <laughs> it's my thing. I have used that a few times as a result of you. Be proud there. Be, but I'm talking about for the world. Oh, of course. Well, <laughs> I'll let you know when that catches on broadly. Any case, this uh. This is more of a, uh, the anytime album here. This coincides with enjoyment. Just what is the most enjoyable album? This sounds like it's veering toward the, uh, you know, the best, the best of the year. But remember, that's, again, crisscrossing subjective with objective. This is very subjective yet again. This is the album that you enjoy most. It doesn't take into account guilty pleasure, though. It doesn't take into account feeling like you have to give something up in order to enjoy it. This is just straight up, you're listening to it the most. And there's, you'll explain why. <laughs> well, it's a recent one for me, and it's because I'm really just fanboy at this point, and it's Mark Three by Steam Power Giraffe. Uh-huh. These guys, I just had to. It's just listening to an adult version of a Disney story. It's got that kind of capture of imagination for me, coupled with some really great theme work f- f- coming from one of the most animated and uh ingenious of ideas for a band in a long time it really is just has so many unique things going for it but it's presented in such a great way i can't get over it and maybe because it's new and i'm really really gonna be harping on it as as an enjoyment because it's new and shiny and everything like that but it's just it just touches me in a way that really the only other thing that came close was the Two Cent Show. And I do like this album more than the Two Cent Show. Solid. That makes sense. For me, it was actually um, something that Steve had alluded to earlier. Um, an album that I had brought on um, towards the latter half of the year. Everything is Debatable by Hello Goodbye. This is one of those records that it's just it's just good pop fun. I mean, you know, between the synth work and the, the, the singing and the vocals and the lyrics, you know... I mean, everything debatable. The title track is one of the catchier songs of the year, though not my catchiest. But I just I have a great time listening to this record. It's just a lot of fun to listen to. I enjoy it from start to finish, and it kind of really just pulls me in. I don't have to think too hard when listening to it either. It's not super innovative or or, or in depth. It's just kind of a good fun record to listen to. And I after it had come out that week I'd listened to it constantly and I'm still listening to it. It's one of the albums I've listened to the most on my Spotify, besides a few others. Hmm. Alright. Uh, this was actually mu- a much more difficult one for me, I think. Like after listening to John's reasoning for MK three, that that makes so much sense, which I think uh is explains why I, I separated a lot of these categories to go along with this. For instance, um, Guilty Pleasure with Most Enjoyable. Uh, for me, it was it was a little bit more difficult. But I knew there was one I could probably give up the Guilty Pleasure-ness because I settled for a little bit more of an innovative quality to it. And yet, it just has this hold on me. And that is Chronicles of Marnia, Marnie Stern. There's just... I don't know what it is about that album, but... 
it's her it's her quality of voice that's just so incredibly unique compared to anything else that I gotta I gotta go with it. There's enough there's enough material there that it keeps me I'm not even gonna go as far as to say interested. I wanna keep it at intrigued mm. because it's just so bizarre. I wanna actually if there was another category here for most bizarre, I'd put it there. But a lot of times I'm in a very bizarre mood, so that fits the bill. That that was my runner up. I will admit Marnie she was just shy, but it's it's I don't know. For me, MK uh Mark Three just had that little extra oomph. Gotcha. Alright. Now we're on to um well we're pulling back off the uh off the social and the anytime, all that stuff. We're going to lyrics. This doesn't necessarily matter what you're saying, as long as you say it really, really, really well. What is the best lyrical track? And I want to take lead on that because of exactly how you phrased that. What you exactly said is why I picked the song I picked. Exactly what I said. Yes, actually. What I exactly said. What exactly did you say? (laughs) So, Steve talking about it's not necessarily what you're saying, but it's how you said it. Or maybe it was the other way around. I said something like that. Leading to my (laughs) song, Stuff Is Way by They Might Be Giants. This is my best lyric song of the year. And the reason is because... It's just so brilliantly done. It's a song where the clear message is is not clear at all. It's seemingly grammatically correct, but it's so disjointed. It's hilarious. It, it's fun. I enjoy listening to it. Um, in fact, when I went back to listen to that album recently to prepare for my decision process, though no spoilers for album of the year, though they were clearly one of the contenders, which would be a surprise to no one. I, I forgot about that song. I just hadn't heard it in a while. It had been a, f- a few weeks, or maybe even a month. And then the song comes on, and I go, Oh, this. Oh, this. So that's my best lyrics, because nonsense that makes sense is my favorite kind of sense. That was back in episode 38. Yeah. And you're in luck, Matt. <clears throat> Did you just what? Is what you yes? Did you just whatever, whatever you, I guess? The stalking horse was hides the guy, and which the pony is a phony was a lie. You say, stuff is way, way to go, go away. Who had you was? I yes you would. It was catastrophe, catastrophe feeling good. As if the drag that has you are, is in the bag that you drag behind your car. Did you just what? Is what you yes? Did you whatever, whatever you, I guess? The stalking horse was hides the guy, and which the pony is a phony was a lie. You say, stuff is way, is what you say. Way to go, is stuff is way. Go away, so way to go, go away. Who had you was, who had you was. I, I yes you would, I yes you would. It was catastrophe, catastrophe feeling good. As it the gr- drag, as it the drag, that has you are, is in the bag that drags behind your car. That was easily. Although, well, I won't say easily. There were a lot of contenders for good lyrics this week. And believe me, for a much more emotional level... Contenders were definitely on Godstick's uh, The Visit's Conundrum, episode 51, which I'll be returning to many times. Love you, Godstick's, but I know, I know that I'm going to you for the lyrics. And, I mean, excuse me, that I'm going to you for the music. But when it comes to lyrical things, I I just love being intrigued by lyrics. I, that's why, you know, I had to keep a lot of these categories separate, such as uh, social importance and yeah. these things, because I'm, I'm not often looking at the lyrics. But when I'm looking at it, I want to be... Yet again, intrigued, and that's just too intriguing. It is a joke on the English language itself, and that's uh, that's a whole nother level of meta. So this is our first overlap. That's pretty funny for lyrics. Considering we were looking for just one track, like yeah. in all of them, that's pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Well, 
My face was beaming when you said that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about a track. Nah, I can't agree with you guys. I do approach, uh, appreciate Stuff His Way. I do love it, to be frank. It's my ringtone. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that says something, I guess. But uh, as far as lyrics, words, I have to go with Jimmy Iovine. It's got a lot going for it. One... It's an incredibly fast, incredibly difficult song to sing. Jimmy Iovine, Off the Heist by Macklemore. <laughs> and Ryan Lewis. <laughs> and Ryan Lewis. It's Episode incre- 47. It's incredibly fast, and it's incredibly concise in its filling of words. There's just so much going on so quickly, and that's something I love about rap. It's also coupled with a great story, to be frank about the the heist that's going on here. It's where the album draws its name from, to be honest. It's also got that that turn, that that kind of unusual ending with the exec coming up to him and he's replaying all these tag words that happen and the way it's ended, the the way it 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 finalizes with Macklemore going uh I'd rather be a starving artist than succeed in getting effed. It just puts out the persona and everything that Macklemore wants to represent. It's a call to arms for him. You see, it goes to show there's a difference in how we perceive lyrics. Because I would have probably put that more in the whole message and the societal thing. Because I go with more the wordsmithing. And, you know, well, there's a lot of wordsmithing in that. I mean, it's safe to say There's some people that need pure poetry. You know, for the pure poetry, there's lots of other choices we could have picked. And it's also safe to say that Macklemore is a great lyricist. So, you know, yeah. he's a, it's a strong contender, but it, it's kind there of funny. Go. Out of all the songs, if we were to count out the amount of tracks to choose, that means Steve chose the same one. Definitely amuses me quite yeah. a bit. I also think Daryl Charles, Darren Charles is a good lyricist. And I oh, think his stuff would, sure, yeah. would have been in here in a heartbeat if I didn't find myself singing along to what he's saying without fully comprehending what he's saying. Yeah. Which, you know, that's not a negative in the slightest, but I had to, They're going to be all over this list, so I got I to gotta take them away for this one. Speaking of which, our very next one. The Most Emotional Album. We're getting a little bit more serious here now. This is the album that affects you the most. Whether you're playing it all the time or not, it kind of just depends on your whole on your whole psychology yeah. whether you're conditioned to play something super or, emotional all the time or not it's irregard that's besides the point it's right. how much it hits you well yeah well because with an emotional album of course you could be playing it all the time because the album takes you through a range of emotions or you could be playing it all the time because it's depressing and you're depressed a lot in that period there you of go. time you don't it's have really, to enjoy yeah. that well of course you probably do enjoy it that's yes. probably a prerequisite it's, here but it's separate from emotional song because an emotional song is something that is gripping and thing this album is more what you connect with and that's probably the the most appropriate exactly. way for me to explain it it's something that i can just from minute one to minute 45 or 50 or 70 or 120 depending on the album you can just dive into and just feel it ebb and flow and for me Migration, Scale the Summit, episode really? 67. I, it's not that I'm, I'm connecting with it up and down and back and forth and everything like that, 
But when I hit this album now, uh, it, it's like Boards of Canada, but deeper for me. I was touting Boards just is a great palate cleanser and something I delve into. Scale the Summit, I just hit Zen levels when I'm hitting it. I just feel vibrations and they are happy, they're sad, they're tense, they're pacifying. It's an amazing experience when I really just go for it. That is really, really fascinating. Um considering that there are moments in that album songs specifically that are are enormous for me but i had to i had to take this very seriously this is the most emotional album in other words front to back it really has to be pushing you along and uh, as i just alluded to this is this is going to be god sticks this is the invisible conundrum it again it's as i said about lyrics the lyric what he's saying doesn't always get me but i've always gone toward the music first and it has to do with his melodies the melodies the prolonged melodies there that just uh, honestly they're they're not they're not what the rest of the world is doing right now i think the rest of the world is a little bit more toward the short the brief the punchy i established a greater emotional connection with with songs that go places and if you can push your melody in that direction considering the melody is usually the primary thing that people are looking at it's usually indicative of the rest of your work because it's actually rather difficult to compose a very long melody because you're implying that it's a little bit difficult to follow and if it's difficult to follow it probably implies a little more of a complex mind there's all these there's all these connotations that go with with that kind of stuff and to be honest the complex mind is usually one that thinks a lot and one who thinks a lot He's usually a pretty emotional person. So there's a lot of those connections that I reach that I that I symbolically get by the melodies um, that he's created in literally every single track, except for the the two, I believe, that are instrumental. And even those in themselves, it's a part of the arc. The arc um, where you need a breather. Because if you were just sobbing 100%, well, then you might as well just call it a snapshot at that point. That would just be a sob fest. But it's not a snapshot, it's a full story, and this will connect to things later, but I'll leave it at that for the moment. It's funny because my most emotional choice is for a similar reason, although of a different album, to Steve's Logic. So, I did something a little um, out of the ordinary, though it was an option available to all of us. If you've been listening to our podcast since, I guess, September-ish? I might have mentioned the artist Schaefer the Dark Lord a few times. September 2012? Then yes, you probably mentioned it a few <laughs> times. Um, but his most recent album that came out, Sick Passenger, from start to finish is a well-cultivated arc of emotion, of personal strife that he's gone through and connection. And so many songs on that record, pretty much from start to finish, I identify with very strongly and or get me thinking or give me a moment to laugh um it's just an album i couldn't stop listening to because there are songs that deals with overwhelming fear anxiety attacks fantasy you know sex you know and so on and so forth and uh, uh, gender issues (laughs) can't just say sex etc etc yeah people want more gender issues addiction addiction sex is a key word these are all things that i've struggled with at some point in my life and or can identify with and and it really just it, it got to me in a way that no other album has this year um you know i i would have liked to have talked about it in more depth on the show but i mean it's no secret that i'm a fan and we mentioned it of course when his friend nelson was here as well nelson lugo uh, most recently bringing us mark three 
But Sick Passenger is just a wonderful emotional ride from beginning to end that is not only a personal story for Shay for the Dark Lord, but also somewhere for you to connect as well. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who grew up getting picked on a lot in high school and junior high school for being very effeminate, for having effeminate tendencies, for liking, you know, not li- loving sports and manly things and liking theater and music and being artsy. He has a song on the record called Tom Girl, where he sings about being a Tom Girl, a guy, but who's comfortable with sexuality, not necessarily gay, but still does girly things, likes emotional movies. You know, all of his, he has a line about, you know, he played with G.I. Joes, but all of his stories had romance. And it's something that I really identified with from one of the first times I had seen him, because he's been performing the song for years. It, it being on this record just helped wrap together something that I connected with very tightly. And so he's, Sick Passenger is my most emotional record because it has that strong arc and an, a range of emotions that I identify with. That makes you feel any better. We're three dudes sitting on a podcast talking about our emotions. So I don't think anybody's going to sue you for it from this audience. All right. So that's everybody's uh, emotional album. Now it's time to go to the emotional song, which sometimes can be more gripping and sometimes not. Honestly, I'm going to go with a more gripping one, but only because it's the moments that really get you sometimes. It's those moments that drive you to do really, really stupid things or really silly things. They're the ones that curdle blood. You can you can remain in the state for 45 minutes, as I can do with uh, with Godsticks and Visits Conundrum, and it's it's a powerful 45 minutes. But sometimes it's it's that singular moment that really manages to, uh, to turn people on their heads. I'm going to let one of you start with this. Well... I have to go with kind of an obvious choice, and that is Same Love from The Heist. I have to choose this, and it it was close to a couple of other songs, but I can't listen to that song without crying. And the point at which I cry, and I I do get teared up, and there is at least one that falls, is when the first time you hear, but I can't change, even if I tried, even if I wanted to, and such beautiful rendition with such heartbreaking breath to it, I just I just feel it it I can't be helped. It's part of a a, a larger scale of, of talking about the the problems that we have in society and how our the society's supposed hatred of homosexuality is no different than our hatred of race. It's no different than the hatred of, of well not hatred but the the segregations that we've had the the problems we have with accepting each other and I, it's not like I really go into it I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm I'm white I'm male I'm young but I'm, I've also not been the most wealthy of individuals in my life and I see how that has become a border and I've also had my own form of issues and this song for being about we should accept everybody, whether they're straight or gay. It, it really comes down to we should just be accepting, and that's something I I've, I identify with on on a bunch of different levels that I really I some some of them I can't even talk about still, and it just it just touches me and it it breaks down my barriers every single time. It's funny 
that you choose that song. Well, maybe not funny, haha, but funny weird. <laughs> Ill chosen. <laughs> yeah. I say that because if you had asked me two weeks ago what my song for Most Emotional would have been, it would have been that song. I would have picked the same exact song. But then last week we listened to Beyonce's self-titled album, which is by Beyonce, called Beyonce. And there's a song on it that is unlike any other song I've heard this year, or maybe even in a, a longer time than that. There's a song on the album, we alluded to it earlier, called Heaven. It's by Beyonce, and it's about Beyonce's miscarriage. And it's about how this child is so important, and you have so much faith that heaven couldn't wait to have this child. This child was so important and so amazing and so beautiful. That's why it happened. Because it needed to go to God. It needed to go to that next, that other place. Because it was just so important. This song, when I, I recently re-listened to this record yesterday, I was driving into Jersey and my girlfriend Sarah hadn't heard it. So I wanted to, so we listened to it. Bef three songs before we got to that song. I already had a pit in my stomach because I knew it was coming. And when the song came on, it's by far one of the most depressing, beautiful, and emotion-filled songs I've ever heard. Because it's completely 100% from the heart. Even up until the last part of the song where they're off... I, what I understand is the Spanish equivalent of the Our, Our Father. Lord's Prayer. Prayer. Lord's Prayer. It's just... It's not a song that's throwing faith in your face. It's a song that's showing she had faith, and it's what helped her get through. The word you're looking for is testament. Yeah. It's a testament of faith. And, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and so this, by far, is the most emotional song for me this year. Because even though I can't directly relate, because I have not had a miscarriage, <laughs> I feel her pain completely and wholeheartedly even though I could never physically experience that and I hope to never personally experience it listening to the song almost brings me there because it's so powerful well this is why word choice is very important um, when we're creating these these uh, categories uh, John chose to add the word connectivity to the, uh, to the most emotional song I think this is where I, I I show my true colors, I think, as a musician, because both of you are very, very in line here, and this is where I think I'm a little bit a little bit off off the board. Both of you seem seem to go for tracks which was very verbatim the message, and the message was in its purity emotional, and you found an ability to relate to that. That of course there's no arguments here whatsoever. That's that's for many, there were many, many tracks that I, I could have easily picked for that exact reason. And for sure, that's what affects probably the artist the most. Um, but it's a strange one for me. In fact, I've been debating all the way up until the moment uh, here what, what really to pick. But it's the music that gets me. It's, it's, it's always the music, it seems. I, I can feel a certain way without hearing a single word. And that will be the most powerful moment in my life. Words aren't everything. I guess sometimes it, it's, it is about the ineffable for me. Because in some vague sense, it defines something in my inner psyche. Or puts it into perspective. 
I even have to go between uh, a couple here. <laughs> and if I go between one or the other, it'll be any mini money mo. Uh, but I should ref I should stress that there are many songs on the Invisits Conundrum which could very well have been in that category, not the least which uh, raised concerns, the very final track. But I, the only reason I'm withholding that from this particular category is because I think it's one of it, the most emotional in context and in its placement regarding the album, such that when you get there at the end, that's when it hits you. Were you to listen to it uh, by itself, you'd still it would still pack a powerful punch, but you're just missing so much considering its placement in the album. I was between two other songs, one of which, which is why John really surprised me back when he described the emotional album of his, he said was Scale the Summit, uh, Scale the Summit, The Migration, and that was his, his emotional album. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, because I was so impressed with that album, especially from a, from a musical standpoint, but there was... There were two tracks on that album that were really, really emotional, and that was uh, Evergreen and Atlas Novus. But Atlas Novus hit me a little bit more so. Atlas Novus. Ugh. There was something about that track that remind it, It's like a nostalgia in of itself. A nostalgia through my life, despite the... My life never necessarily walked through that particular progression of chords. But I like a good story. And that story is uh, is present within within that entirely instrumental track. I'm not even sure exactly what it's saying. I just know that it gets me. But uh, guess what? That was only one of the two. Evergreen was not the contender. Believe it or not, John. Really? I know he's looking at me as if that was the one. That was actually my runner-up to Same Love. Those were, I was just describing the two on that same album. But the runner-up was between Atlas Novus and another song that... I'm sure you two have long forgotten whether it even made an impression on you at the time. That was Maybe That Was It by the Dirty Projectors off Swing Low Magellan. Mm. That track didn't have nearly the same long, prolonged story as Atlas Novus. It was, in a moment, the saddest I felt in a very, very long time. It's a very disconcerting song because it actually conveys pain in its very rhythm. It crawls along and struggles to complete each individual phrase as if the song itself would break down crying and simply stop if it lost a moment of willpower. You can hear this in a guitar riff that slows down, which is very, very un 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 uh, unorthodox, considering most things are about keep it the time limit, keep it the time limit, keep it the time limit. I love the fact that they just yank the chord on that. And then they reach these certain climaxes that... I don't even know what it is. Can't describe what it is. That's a thing about music. And I, I would sit here, if, if this were more of a review, I'm sure you can look back in that episode, uh, episode 40 and listen to what I have to say about that particular track. But I don't think uh, this is time for me to talk about music theory. I simply have to say that in its delivery, it was pretty incredible. I'm going to be in the fence between that and Atlas Novus. I really can't decide. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, it's cheating, but we'll allow it. Yep. Well, yep. I'm gonna be a jerk. Yeah. I'm gonna be a jerk. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, man? What are you gonna get emotional about yeah, it? Yeah. Mm. Boohoo. Um, so where do we go from here? Good Steve. Alright, here we go into something else. Favorite moment. 
So, uh, ooh, no. This is just Please. a moment. Now, this doesn't have to be, like, super emotional. You could just be totally immersed in whatever. It, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the same uh, reasoning, the same logic that I just described, uh, based on that the track, maybe that was it. Right. Because, of course, there's that moment, that chord that really grabs me. But at the same time, that's for emotional reasons. There's so many other moments, great moments, where you can throw the macro scale out the window, throw the uh, the album out, throw the song out. This time, it's rate. It's you're rating on a on a chord or a, or a phrase or whatever the hell you choose. Well, you know what? It's not a chord. It's not a phrase. It's significantly longer than that. To be to be honest, I think it, I know where this is going. <laughs> it is off of scale the summit, and it is oh. the entire song evergreen, and oh, that is right. because of the context here. Not where I thought it was going. That's good. One minute forty one seconds, but it feels like an elongated moment. It feels like a moment. The song, in in comparison to the rest of the album, is a tenth the length of a lot of the stuff. It's very, very short, but it's still over a minute long. It's almost two. But to listen to it, I just feel humility. Both what the song is projecting and in the context of the album. You know, I, I do want to take a moment to talk about that particular track because I, I, I gave it a little bit of the shaft for, for emotional, but that's just the, such the thing is that you could define it as emotion and you could not for that particular track. In many ways, it's just the expression of, of as you said, uh, humility and even just calm, the, the calm of life, finding a place where you need to be at one particular time and just zoning out. And that, that still is a powerful emotion in itself. It wasn't what I was particularly looking for in the emotional track, but it is so, so good. And that's actually the main reason why I chose yeah. it. In all the hubbub and cacophony that some of what... Cacophony. <laughs> cacophony of some of what Your the reader. migration had, had created. There was a lot going on, so much going on at times. That's true. It, that it breathed. Evergreen feels like an instant to me. The album has, listening to that, it's an instant. The That's whole album had to sit down for a little bit. Yeah, and it was a perfect moment. And actually, your reasoning for for Evergreen is is nearly the same as my reasoning for maybe that was it in terms of the the entire track almost being a moment. Granted, there were moment there were slight moments within uh, maybe that was it, but that. That's very um, telling that you saw that track as a moment. And I, I easily see it. Easily. Matt? So, my moment, I've actually mentioned on the podcast before, but it was such a powerful moment in music for me, especially as a podcaster, that it'll stand out in my head. And, and I'll, I can go more into detail when we talk about this song later, because this one's going to come up a couple times for me, like Steve has alluded about Godsticks. When we listened to They Might Be Giants record Nanobots... It was back before we had done multiple listens. We listened to this album for the first time together. It's pretty much the whole song, but it's especially the first minute of Darlings of Lumberland. <laughs> this is my favorite moment in music for the year because, to me, as much as I love music on the macro, music to me is about connecting with those I care about and a tool for doing so. And when that song started on... on on this record, Nanobots, the song Darlings of Lumberland, all of our jaws simultaneously hit the floor. None of us knew what to make of this song because it was just so different from anything we expected from They Might Be Giants and anything we expected from the record. And we were left speechless pretty much the entire song. And then, I, as I recall, we had to pause it and discuss it. It's just... 
a brilliant combination and cacophony of instruments, lyrics, you know, pacing, you know, and and as great as the song is, it's more about that moment where we were left speechless, which doesn't happen often. That you know, that's that's amazing. Well, first of all, I I realized that I didn't exactly answer this particular category myself. I I went on an aside before, um, but yeah, Darling's a Lumberland. That was really really. That I had actually written it out first, um, as my as my response, because that, it's that's actually a woodwind masterpiece, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there's very very little, you know, we I we were talking about brass earlier and how brass can pack such a punch uh, in terms of catchiness, but woodwinds really get the shaft in rock music. It seems, they um, and they took they took the forefront there, and that was a very jerky sort of. That almost that stop-start nature, just as "Can't Hold Us" by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, that uh, that both tracks did. Of course, there was a lot more. There was definitely more sophistication to uh, "Darlings of Lumberland," and um, that separates it from simply being catchy. In fact, it's a little bit hard to follow at times. It's it 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 turns you it turns you inside out. You never expect exactly what's coming next in that in that track, no matter how many times you listen to it. It's it's oddly constructed. And it's got that intriguing nature that yeah. you kept talking about. It's just, it goes in such a strange direction, yeah. it pulls you in. Yeah, but uh, I didn't go with that, believe it or not. I had written it out, but I didn't go with that. I went with a strange one. The very end of You Don't Turn Down off Chronicles of Marnia, Monty Stern. The very end of that track, how it had been a fairly, I guess an average track on that album up until this certain point where everything just snuffs out and it goes to this very soft dual chord system arpeggiated and slowed down and she sings in the background in a very high, airy voice and that sudden, again, it's that pulling the plug nature where within context of, of the piece I was thrown into another sort of emotional state but that was a moment for me that that affected me perhaps even greater than the darlings of lumber because of course they're apples and oranges at that point yeah. this actually this, as far as favorite moment is concerned this is very related to uh emotionality here but right. i could never say such for the whole entire song i can say such for this 30 second outro that's it okay well i mean and that makes sense it was very very almost startling in how immediate it was and yeah. that's that that like other things that we've mentioned can pull you out to pull you in. All right, I'm, we're getting. Oh. I'm actually quite quite surprised of the way you've taken Chronicles of Marnia because I didn't realize you liked it as much as I kind of delved into Scale the Summit. Well, I didn't realize you liked Boards of Canada. So hey, we've proven, we don't know each other after all. That's good though. We've proven this thing. I, I mean, like to be surprised once in a while. Yeah, yeah. So surprise me again. <laughs> This is going to weird places. All right. We're getting more serious now. Yep. You ready for the more serious topics? Let's do it. Most innovative. This is the full album now. An album that, for all intents and purposes, really breaks boundaries in music. And this is what I'm really, really, really eager to find out. Because these speak to the more serious uh, sides of rating, I think. Because it, 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 it will affect where music goes in the next direction. Uh, excuse me, in the next generation. So for me, this one was actually a tough one I struggled with because there were albums that were in the running but didn't really make the cut because ultimately when you're talking about innovation, it has to be against the pantheon of music. 
And I mean, initial, yep. initially when I thought innovation, I immediately thought of the most recent record we reviewed, Beyonce's new record, because it was innovative. For her, but, within pop. But that's what it was. When I really thought about it, it was very innovative for her, or even at the most, pop music, which is still a subset. So instead, I ended up going with an album that, while itself was not completely serious, I felt was very innovative in its construction, in what it did with its components, and ultimately, its end product. So my most innovative record is actually the aforementioned Nanobots by They Might Be Giants. Ah. So the reason that this is the most innovative for me is because, I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a mix between the the handful of short shorty short sh- songs, the, the Darlings of Lumberland, Replicant, you know, um, uh, the other one, Stuff Is Way that we mentioned earlier, all these songs and more, even this, the title track, Nanobots, they were all so different, yet for They Might Be Giants, with the exception of a couple, were more or less expected and incredible. Um, even though I didn't give it a five star, in hindsight, you know, that might be another one I might be pushed to correct because the things that we criticized it for, I think are actually now upon multiple listens, what give it its character. Mm. And I think it might be deserving of that five star because it truly is an innovative record record that did some incredible things, even for They Might Be Giants, who I've loved for a long time. But this is, this is just such a great whole piece. And I, and honestly, this is where I would love to see folk and, and kind of this, I like to see music go in this direction, this kind of adventure and engagement that that album was. Well, that's cool that you took that as innovative for the album, as in album construction. We didn't even, even think of that. Of course, that was so strange that we got 25 tracks off that record. And, and so many of them in the middle end there were just these little snapshots, these little short shorts that, that they probably recorded one day and eh, let's put this in the idea bin and they threw them on the album and somehow they fit and that's where i'm going to just add upon what matt said because i'm choosing the same album nanobots just infuse so many other things as well we talked about the woodwinds of darlings of lumberland there was just a huge variety of instrumentation thrown into this album mm. unusual pieces of equipment being used unusual theme work there. There's your song. There. I remember that. Noun. I really didn't like them to begin with, but in hindsight, they really are nice little unique things. That was one of our biggest redeeming qualities for that unusualness. Was <laughs> I this, remember that their just, song. Yeah. No, they are, song they are like the core concept that, not that they couldn't make them into other songs, they didn't feel the need to. This is coupled with, with a variety of different works being all meshed together on a song-by-song basis. Unusual ideas, unusual words. There's so much of the word unusual being used in this album. The combinations are just great. And while we can say that this was this, that was that, the whole idea that this whole album did feel as a solid piece for all the disparity from song to song just shows that you really, if you think outside the box, if you throw the box away, you can make something unique. I, I just love it for what they tried and accomplished with it. It's just so much out there that doesn't sound like this that I have to hand it to them for making this sound. Fair enough. 
Now, this is one that, of course, I, I considered in passing, but at the same time, I am going to have to disagree with you guys on only one, one note. I love what they did in that album, and it is an incredibly enjoyable album. In fact, it might as well be a contender for enjoyable, come to think of it with me. Uh, but in terms of their style, as unique as it is, as bizarre as it is, I am familiar somewhat with their, They Might Be Giants' particular brand of uniqueness. And this, after all, was their 16th album. And they have done pretty bizarre things early on in that. In fact, I've also heard uh, stuff to that, to that extent of weirdness in the band Ween, which was introduced to me back in college, which is a very strange band, which, based on what you're saying today, I think the two of you might like. So, um, yes, it was very, it was very uh, creative, um, but innovative is a stronger word. For, I, I think I take innovative more in the overall sound of something. And uh, they might be giants. Nanobots was a little was a little bit haphazard. It was hard to really like one track was so different from the next in many ways. So I had to go with an overall sound. And for this, I'm doing another crossover. I'm going back to Godsticks here. As an overall sound, I think this album was incredibly unique. Whether it's their whole stuck-in Lydian modality, or Darren Charles' extensive meandering lyrics, as I described earlier that always managed to tie themselves together in the end. Their whole aesthetic is just strikingly original to me. Grunge influence, prog influence, all that notwithstanding, that stuff can be cited academically. But their backdrop, their whole backdrop, is thoroughly their own. I think their maturity is actually the reason for that. They, they actually have the willpower and the creative prowess to keep their eye on the prize and stick to that core idea. So no amount of genre influence really comes close to boxing them in. Every single track, I was just thoroughly engaged, and yet there was a uniformed idea there. And a uniformed sound, unlike anything else I had ever heard in. I even want to go back to that first thing, that whole stuck-in-Lydian modality. Who does a whole album in Lydian? I don't know. But in that case, I am touching music theory, because that, that is a core reason as to why they sound so unique. Not the whole album is in Lydian, but there's just there are strange things going there, and they, they stick to it. Again, they keep their eye on the prize. It's not just a passing moment of, hey, look at this crazy, bizarre thing. It's their whole sound. It is their essence, in a way. I, I just, I have so much respect for that. So now we move on. The very next category. This is pretty powerful, considering that there's a lot of people that will only listen to bands for this one thing. Because they are the center, in many ways. The vocalists. They're on stage... They're the one that everyone is seeing, and there are people who listen primarily for the voice, the lyrics, and all of that. You want me to begin? Yes. All right. Because we keep beginning. Um, even this could have been a contender with Godsticks, but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta turn them down a little bit, otherwise this would become the Godsticks hour. Well, one third of the Godsticks hour. There you go. And also the other, my reasoning was pretty was pretty legit here. Is that I know that there's other stuff there in God's Stick. Like I'm looking at the instruments and looking at the at the the bass work, the guitar work, all that other stuff. The vocals are an aspect. They're not the core. Right. So here, I went with Joe by Goldfrap. We're talking about track now. This is the very very first track on this album. Goldfrap on the album Tales of Us back in episode sixty four. This was just such a chilling introduction, I think, to this album, and I've come to the conclusion that it is really all because of her vocals. I, I'm usually such an instrument guy through and through that it takes me a lot for the voice to really drive the song for me, 
but hers really did manage to hit it home. I mean, there is beautiful string work in the background there, but uh, let's face it, it's very light and it's very much accompanying. They set the chord, but it's loose. The, the emotional soul of that track is the very heart-wrenchingly uh, mature vocals of Alison Goldfrapp herself. That's... She is, after all, she's the title of the band, and there's good reason why. I will go with something that I think everybody saw coming, because this is one I've been talking about for, like, ever. Honeybee. I can't get away from Honeybee from the two-cent show of Steam Power Giraffe. The combination of Rabbit, the John, and the Spines vocal work, the forlorn nature infused within their voices, the love and loss that's just put into that, that's, that's done in their pure vocal for, uh, parts, plus the complexity they put into those harmonies, in their very simplistic nature, is just astounding, amazing, and I can't get away from. It is one of the most beautiful things I've heard of this year. One of the most beautiful things I've heard in a very long time. It is a great song in just its idea, but it, it really is brought to life and becomes touching because of the vocal work, because of their range. I'm surprised you're not throwing around another word with that track, and that's harmonies, which is something I that I harmonies. didn't... harmonies. Oh, did you? Yes. I, I didn't even... It's something I didn't even necessarily think of when I was looking for vocals. I was thinking of a solitary uh, delivery, but that it is... Was that is the individual nature that the rabbit was doing in, a, in the bulk of the song, but it was coupled with the complexity... The harmonies are what sold it. Yeah, of, yeah. of those and it, it, it was It was there for... Granted, he was doing the bulk of the song, but I remember they were weaving in and out uh, seamlessly. It was downright gorgeous. Good good runner-up for me also. Um, it's funny. I had actually had a vocals choice here written, but listening to you guys talk about that has actually made me change my mind. I'm going with the same band... But I'm not going to go with the song I originally picked. I'm going to tell you what the song I had originally picked was. Uh, originally, I had picked a song, Wired Wrong, by Steam Power Giraffe, as best vocals. But thinking about it, the vocals are good, but not the best that Steam Power Giraffe has to offer. There's a song from the Two Cent Show that I was actually obsessed with the vocals since the moment it came out, which is why it's going to be my best vocal song. Automatonic, electronic, harmonic. This song shows off the Spine's voice from the get. It's quiet, and all you hear is, ever since the first time I opened my eyes, and then <laughs> the whole band comes in together. It's, it's just this beautiful bass to tenor, and then they just continue to do it throughout the whole song. And, you know, even the progressive choruses, you know, when they sing the title of the track, you know, Automatonic, Electronic, Harmonic, they come in and interweave, and it's beautifully done. It's probably some of the best vocals I've ever heard. And, I mean, we talk to death about how great their vocals are, and that song for sure shows it off. It's a five-and-a-half-minute epic where they're just singing throughout and just like throwing that, off what they've got. I like got. that demo you gave us. That was, that was nice. <laughs> I think that... I demos too often. I think that for all my uh, love of the simplicity of the harmonies and the vocal work in Honeybee, you could say the exact opposite about the complexities 
and it's almost the same exact level for me. It's just shy because that was my runner-up. That was the song that I almost chose. Um, I just it, for vocals sometimes it's just hearing one person belt out that one note to hit that one chord with a voice that touched me with Honeybee a little bit more. And I totally understand that. Whereas for me, it was, you're right, the exact opposite. The fact that you heard the spine showing off this bass tone and just not a lot of music, just him starting that song, singing it off, telling the story of how they're robots. And this kind of Western feel, it really was just a huge impact vocally for me. Yeah. yeah. The, but all all of Steam Power Giraffe are, are amazing singers. You know, that's... That kind of goes without saying. I actually maybe that was part of the reason I didn't because there's so it's so hard to choose between their songs. Actually, you could just say, "Ah, they're great vocalists." Period. If that was a prize. All right. <laughs> but you had to pick a song, so all right. Now we're going uh, a bit more broad again, but still more serious. Best theme. This is specifically theme. This is this is not to say arc, for instance. This is. The, the thematic work at play. What it, What is the message being delivered perhaps over the course of the album and how well does it tie together the album? That aspect. And this is an album that, to be honest, is still not even in the upper tier of what I like. It is an album that created depressing love in a variety of different persons. Tales of Us by Goldfrapp. I'm still not a huge fan of it, to be honest. But it's really just so present. The the snapshots of life, as I put it then, and I will still pull it, put it now, that are being portrayed in this album. Everything from the each track name being a name and told of a different person and a different detriment of love they're ex- experiencing. I, I just can't get away from that. It is so artistically portrayed that even though I, I just don't like all the songs, I, I just love that theme. I love the work they put into it. I love how they portrayed it. It transcended the music for me, to be honest. Hmm. All right, that's actually that's pretty fair. I, I saw it more as snapshots, which is why I turned it down from theme, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go with one that you're going to like here. Very recently, MK3 by Steam Powered Giraffe. Ha! This is pretty... I, this was a weird one, because, of course, there were so many other great themes that we did have of the, uh, over the year. Many, some of which we did kind of force-feed a little bit, especially when we're looking at, at, some, uh, at we, some more instrumental albums. We, I force-fed. Okay, all right. John force-fed uh, these themes on many. Such a, uh, my, one of my favorites, for instance, is his, uh, his explanation on on Sigur Rós's album, Kvaker, and how it was the, the the geologic history of Iceland. That's one of my favorite ones for yeah, you. Yeah, but it works. Yeah, well, I need something a little bit more matter-of-fact here, a little more cut-and-dry for theme, and MK3 had it. Mark III, Mark III really was exactly what we, we went through. It was... It was robots. Of course, they have a theme of, for their band as it is, so they kind of have a running start. All they need to na- do now is create stories within stories. And their story here was robots gradually getting confused and perplexed by the world and to some extent disgusted by the world, as you find in so many tracks on that album. Sometimes in more lighthearted ways and sometimes in more serious ways. One of the lighthearted ways, for instance, is that, that track 
the, the maybe, right? Where you're, you're hoping to ask a girl out. She said maybe, and that's the best you can hope for. Of course, that's sort of making fun of dating culture right there. And then you have the more serious ones, which you already have gone through, Matt, to mention, which was wired wrong, where that's attacking the whole acceptability factor in many ways, honestly. I'm going to even go as far as to say that that track attacks it better than than Macklemore's The Heist did. I, I think that that using using the robot as as a uh, as a character that's something that that any child could relate to and to, if you want to change the world that's the perfect thing create you know something personify something right and then think how it would affect that character and you'll you'll gradually realize how it would affect any person for any reason whether it's race or orientation or just any little thing that makes you different that you feel outed for such as things you were describing before matt it was very very powerful in that regard and that was present throughout the whole entire album and i was amazed when i saw this arc and this is not just laid on thick or anything it was very much there and when they came back with the where are we going we're going away in space they're leaving the out of disgust well disgust a little bit harsh but at least out of out of confusion of the world around them because how will robots relate to humans they do pretty well all things considered but maybe they're a little bit beyond that i just thought that was that was too perfect it's it's solid and i loudly guffawed when you mentioned mark three because that is also my best overall theme album um for a lot of the same reasons i mean the most base level of how the theme works is it starts with the this announcer robotic voice talking about launching the record and then ends with the same robotic voice telling you we'll see you next time in space and then everything in between is this beautiful message of robots that i've actually come to understand better we thought that please explain was just hatchworth's um curiosities but it's not it's actually all three of them they each have a verse where they ask a question that relates to something uh, associated with their personality and rabbit. with english language like rabbit mentions wild goose chase and who's this wild goose why is there a wild goose it, it's finds a deep thinker what's it, a moot anyway it, it's it's an it's an expression of if you we infer a lot as humans if robots mm. ro- work on facts they need to be explained some of the most base level things, especially stuff like that. That's, they, that's it right there. They that, need to be explained. Is, I could not have said it better um, in terms of inference and everything. And I want you to explain one more thing because you brought, brought this to our attention. At the time that we reviewed that album, we had only one hole in terms, of, in terms of fitting the arc, and that was the track Roller Skate King, which in fact was explained recently. Yeah, so um, listening to the album with Sarah and sharing with her, she has a fast knowledge of music somewhat separate from my own it lingers in other places that i don't always make it to she mentioned that the song roller skate king actually has the same tune to a very popular older song about roller skating but that was more or less innuendo for sex Mm. or sexualization and this song sings about how this guy is the king of roller skating but if roller skating is a metaphor for sex then he's the king of sex and it's an it's another way to work on another level where the robots could be genuinely singing about roller skating but they may have gotten the information from a song like that and it's just another thing throwing this this fact of 
they're robots. They don't always quite understand everything. So to them, it's just a story. That's just too wonderful. It becomes the idea in a lot of this album, and I will say that it, it was very good on the theme work, and I, I was almost there. The colloquial terms. The regional terms. The parts of speech that everybody understands but nobody can explain. Mm-hmm. Like a fox. Yeah. Quick like a fox. Cunning like a fox. Why is it like a fox? Why are foxes cunning? My favorite it's one was opening stuff. opening the box that contained Hatsworth and to, to feel the texture of the box like toast. Yeah. Who could possibly perceive anything as being like toast except perhaps from a robot? It's actually incredibly valid. It's just that the human mind would necess- not necessarily go there. But I love playing around with imagery. And it was just so... The imagery and the symbolism, the metaphor, all of that. Oh. Every little English word you can think of, it was thrown into that album. Um, and it, it really... I, I, I think it was the strongest in terms of theme. Yep. So. And I agree, clearly. As we go along here, we're getting a little more serious. Most virtuosic, or technical, as you were. This is a single track we're looking for. This is just sheer ability. So, for me, this one is actually... And I'm going to speak to something that's probably going to make Steve shine. But um, this is where God Sticks comes in really strong for me. Because they're, I feel that they're incredibly virtuosic and technical. They take a grunge sound and a prog sound and do something with it that's so engaging, entertaining, and mind-blowing. And the title track from Envisage Conundrum, of the same name, Envisage Conundrum, is one of those songs that on the surface level was very engaging and seemed very just general grunge. But as the song progresses, there are levels to it from the most simplistic to the more complicated that really show the talent this band has that Darren Charles and the other band members whose names I never remember and I apologize um, do something that not any old grunge band or rock band could do they, they, they create a sound that can be so engaging and haunting and intriguing all at once and this title track really showed some of what this album, some of the best of what this album had to offer. And so that, hands down, was an easy choice for me for Moat's Virtuosic. Fascinating. There, was, there are parts, of course, which I wanted to, to go toward uh, God Sticks for that. But I, I think their power lies in their compositional ability over that of, you know, there, there are some parts there which are, which I'm not going to go so far as to say simplistic, but um, in this particular case, I had to go for. I had to go for something that was just a little bit obvious because virtuosity is a pretty strong word. Uh, there were solos in God Sticks, which I thought were borderline virtuosic. But again, the power was the overall compositional element. That was the power for me. So, I, you know, virtuosic was just a word that, that as much as I could throw it around haphazardly, it really needs to be reserved for for years of experience and there was only one who I could give that to and that's Chick Corea. Chick Corea and one particular song Pledge for Peace. And you know why, John? Because I think I stole yours away. There's a bass solo, an upright bass solo in this song, which I is, you know, this. is tough because I actually am stretching it a little bit because I want to say that, you know, even the track as a whole, I didn't enjoy like as much as maybe some other tracks on that album. But this is a pretty powerful thing when just one section of a song can turn it into, can 
can make me say it is the most virtuosic song that we have single-handedly reviewed. There's lots of other talent out there. In fact, Scale the Summit is very high, along with Godsticks. Both of them, with the prog background, incredibly technical. But sometimes you just can't beat jazz. These guys work years and years and years, and Czech Korea is one of the most established people, established jazz pianists in the industry, and he associates himself with others that work just as hard as him. I hate to even enter this category forgetting the name of the guy. Can John help me out there? Bassist. I the don't bassist? remember. The bassist. No. Unfortunate. I'm Very really unfortunate. Bad names. Too bad, then. Too bad. Well, that's their preparedness problem. Whatever. Point is, that bass solo. Considering it's an upright bass solo, I have to chalk that up to just pure chops. Pure chops, because it's a very, very difficult instrument to play, amongst almost all other instruments. Lots of people learn guitar, even lots of people learn piano. Both of them are equally difficult, but upright bass, you need just pure strength, uh, pure finger strength, and you need to work at it, and work at the, uh, at the fingering itself, because a single interval, a single whole step, is pretty far apart. I probably have physical limitations that could not even allow me to play anything remotely of that caliber and it's just it was brilliant absolutely brilliant well earlier before we even got close to this steve did something where he just couldn't decide between two what's fortuitous right now is <laughs> you guys chose my two <laughs> <laughs> bald face i mean i i could not really decide between the envisage conundrum and pledge for peace because Pledge for Peace is like the, to me, the epitome of jam session be beauty. It's got, it, it seems like the most off-the-cuff thing that just makes perfection as it goes along. From the beginning part of, of a full band to the breakdown and fall apart to the guys cheering for the bassist. And then let's bring everybody back together. Because I really do like the song as a whole. We did have issues with the ending at the in the beginning. But... I do have the song as a... I love the song as a whole. But at the same time, the Envisage Conundrum is like an entire album's worth of melodies flawlessly stitched and stapled and blended and created into one magnificent piece that I'm amazed at the complexity that they put in a single song where they, they start the, the, the latter half of the, of the song, the last like minute and a half, is just them going, who are they to call on Sandy... Oh. Did I just hear she won't survive? Oh, you're bringing and it's in that them, line. It's them singing it over and over again the same exact way, but every oh. rendition is unique and specific and feels like a different song, yet is part of a whole. That is perhaps my favorite moment in that album. That that Those exact lines yep. that you just described over right and there. Over and over, over and over and over again. And the transformation. Which, that very well. And the retransformation. And the harking back to previous theme work in one song. In one, It's a six minute song. Mm -hmm. But so is Pledge for Peace. I mean this, the two of them separately do very different things. But in such a very similar way. Just creating discord and unity in in such a beautiful way, and that's virtuosic, in my opinion. If I wasn't self-conscious about giving uh, Godsticks all the awards, uh, I would have given that particular those 
particular lyrics at that particular moment of, moment of the title track as the best moment mm-hmm. I would have I really so, would yeah. have so yeah so are you and, and us, it seems that this is all just I'm taking, a giant circle jerk now so are you taking a Steve style cop out and saying those are both your favorite yeah yeah I agree yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going Switzerland in this and agreeing with both of you well I'll jerk. have you know listeners is, that I have no moments like that for me I definitely chosen everything for my categories but it's very funny that the two that's the, that John couldn't decide between were the two that we chose. You decisive uh, bastard. And this is literally just turned into one person going, Oh, you chose that. Well, I nearly did. Oh, I chose that. Well, you nearly did. It's well, a swell. Well, we found to have the same taste this year. Well, not the same taste, we but full, we how all, lucky, right? We were all pretty full of surprises. Okay. It, it seems I'd like say. it seems surprises. like we have the best arguments this year. Well, let's close out the subcategories with our very final subcategory before we go into some booby prizes and then toward the the be-all end-alls. So, the final subcategory is best arc. As distinguished from best theme, as we've had discussions on this in the past, how theme follows something more along the lines of, of course, a a narrative in some sense. Narrative is kind of important when it comes to theme, while arc is really about, uh, it's more ineffable. It's more about the progression of the album. It's where it it, it's about how it starts and how it ends and the and all the peaks and valleys that it takes you with along the way. Whether that coincides with narrative or not is really neither here nor there. It's how you see it and how you feel it over the course of 45 minutes to an hour. And I almost chose Kvecker. Because of Sigaross's design on that album Sigaros. of creating a, a progression where I felt like they were building a world out of music. Or portraying the building of the world out of the music. But I'm going to go with that ineffable building the world out of music. That's what they were trying to do. And to some extent, I feel like they kind of accomplished it. But it wasn't quite as big as one of my favorite albums of the year, Tomorrow's Harvest by Boards of Canada. It's, to me, the new soundtrack of Apocalypse. And that's a terrible way to say it. It's a terrible mm-hmm. thing to talk about. But it was trying to explain the dangers of society, to me, in music form, without words, without anything, just explaining what we can do to ourselves. And I felt like they accomplished it. I felt like they, uh, they, they, to me, accurately portrayed what would happen if we really did flip the switch, press the button, pull the trigger, and end the way things are now. What's left over? And that coupled with the idea of still trying to communicate the idea of radio waves infused within the album, of trying to, to speak to us while using the idea of speaking as a, as a way to portray it is just so powerful to me. And I think that's where I really fell in love with that album I, I at found, a later rendition. I found all that in terms of, in terms of theme. Uh, what you described to me was all theme. Of course, yes, there's that coincidence that it can coincide. The only thing with that is I felt like some of, of Board's of Canada could have been shuffled around. And at that part, that I don't see anymore. Upon my, okay. my, my depth into this, I see it's front to back. You just, could just be just, used to it now at the point. Well, I, f- I feel like it starts lighter and then becomes more in depth and more in depth and more in depth. It's more of a, this, is, this could happen, but this could happen, but this could happen, but this could happen. Kind of a idea that they're portraying here and i just i just love i love what they're they're 
they try and succeed to do in this album. Okay. Uh, all right. I guess I'll jump in here. Well, th- I'm just going to keep this very brief because I think you all know where this is going. Based on the description I gave, um, of course, you guys jumped on the Godsticks bandwagon in the last category, and I kept it at bay while I'm jumping back on it here. I, there's very little to say. I've already explained in, in so many words why I love the Godsticks, um, the Invisits Conundrums arc from front to back. Whether If you're considering the first track, Convergence, which actually is a very eerie uh, intro that in many ways sums up that overall tone of the album that delves in and out of Lydian as a, as a, as a sort of a base uh, that's a pretty good overture in a way, you know, I use that term loosely. And then it, it's, I don't want to use the term snapshot here because I think in many ways this album is the farthest thing from snapshots. I, I don't want, even though you can in almost every instance, I don't want to take one track away from the other. And I think that's one of the most important things for Ark. I love... I love how the first, uh, how the the intro functions. First of all, as in intro, and then you get about three or four. It's it's almost a classic album structure. You get about three or four solid tracks. One of them being the title track, and then you have your your interlude, your intermission, uh, the the piano track that was brilliant. Even though it seemingly has very little to do with the rest, it's actually a pretty good pull away from some fairly heavy themes before you return full force with the Border Stomp trilogy. I mean, it it is constructed as one would a symphony. That's kind of scary. For prog music, of course. So, the funny thing about Best Arc is I actually forgot to write it down. Luckily, I remember. Um, <laughs> and I think this... <clears throat> I think this might come as a surprise to you guys, but my actual choice for Best Arc is Mark Kozalak's like rats. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a surprise. I was surprised. That is. So the the reason for that is, and it had a lot to do with an influence of Steve insisting us hear the original versions of the song to get a good sense of impact of this album. But in reality, listening to the album enough, while those originals informed the divergence that album still stands alone so well as this wonderful flow of almost pseudo-depressingness that is very cyclical. And I just really liked how he showed what Steve pretty much was going on about when I brought Everlast. Steve proved that with just a guitar... You can still say so much, even if it's multiple guitars, multiple layerings of vocals. And <clears throat> there was just this kind of unspoken message that was so strong throughout the entire record that it really brought it together for me. And and while it, you know, I, I've only listened to it a handful of times, it really just it resonated with me in a way in its structure that I was surprised to kind of grasp onto. And um, and I re- and I just really liked its brilliance and its simplicity in how it was strung together with these guitar tracks. That actually means a lot to me, just as an interjection here, because I that's definitely an album I want to say that up front I did in some sense bring for you. I wanted you particularly to like that album because of your acoustic leanings. Um, it was always a, a a very powerful 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, even I don't understand the full breadth of Mark Kozilek's ideas and the full breadth of his work because I simply, I'm not always in the emotional state for it. But uh, it's it's beautiful. He's be it's beautiful the way he delivers it. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you see the arc because, you know, it could have gone either way with the cover album. But that he turned that into something and that you see it, is, it means a lot. And I will agree. I, I still attest that that song choices were chosen to make a lifespan of a person. I still see that going on there. Whatever you see, John. I still, whatever I whatever sure. makes you makes I'm you trying to force feed something. Sleep at so night, just, you know? just go with it. <laughs> gotcha. Just go with it. Gotcha. Shh. Go with it. All right. The John Ark. <laughs> the John Ark. Anyway, we're done with seriousness for a while, so you can take a break and listen to our booby prizes. Now, these booby prizes are not just, you know, the opposite of great. Sometimes, and like the one I'm going to choose to do first, it is just, you didn't quite get there. You did a good job, but there was something that held you back. That This is this year's best attempt. So, best attempt at something with us. Whatever you want. So it's funny my, my choice for this is kind of interesting because it's an album all in all that I really liked but I still felt I really expected more from and I wanted more from so for this my is not biggest disappointment no Let's remember no no distinct. it's okay. best attempt and it's Daft Punk Random Access Memories ooh because I liked what they did I really did as a 70s kind of disco-y dance record nice retro album yeah I liked it but I also like Daft Punk, and it had their attitude, but, you know, their sound is around the world, is one more time, you know, harder, faster, stronger, like, these songs that are the Tron, the entire Tron Legacy soundtrack. And this album was, except in very small moments, a huge divergence from it. And the more I listened to it, the more I realized I like this record, but not because it's Daft Punk. I just like the content. And I really wanted more from them. I, I think that it was a great attempt at something different, but mm. I still want more of the same old Daft, Daft Punk. Okay, you're seeing you're seeing attempt much as how I saw disappointment, and I'll get to that later. But let's start with best attempt because I saw this very very differently. This is an album. I also I'll give you the same premise, the same the way he started at least. Uh, that I did enjoy this album. I thought it was it was pretty good. I mean, it was in, it was enjoyable uh, front to back, uh, but it had its holes. And this is one of the earliest. That I think I've I'm going back in the year here, uh, of what I've picked on this on this list, and that's abandoned pools, sublime currency. Mm. Okay. I think that was the best attempt, and that has to do with the context of what he began. Uh, it essentially is a pop album, and he himself, Tommy Walters, he's a solo guy going at it, and and I think that he's got some amazing ideas. They're pre they they are they show through. Uh. Especially thing I, we had fairly we had kind of a dry spell uh, around this part of the year earlier there, and I think this was one of the first tr the first tracks uh, was that song Nine Billion that came around where I was like whoa this is new this like it might have even been in a category of innovative if uh, we had innovative song in this category for instance I I would throw that in there uh, but I do have to say the rest of the album did fall back to that pop bass and that was just it, I guess this does cross over with a disappointment a little bit because I wanted more out of that album. But it's the best attempt because I think I see this album in terms of pop burgeoning toward a more of a more of a introspective end. And it is introspective because he's a solo artist, so you see him in the music. There's there's 
very little clouded there, but he's using a very familiar base for for the whole the entirety of the work, the backdrop. It's just those moments where it shines through that I, I did I did really want that to be the work. So I see it sort of as, a, as an attempt to to break boundaries. And in that vein, take the crown by Robbie Williams. Mm. Hmm. Even I, earlier in the year and more pop. It it for much the same reasons and this one he went for a joke. He went for a joke on everything that pop represents. But the problem is, in this case, I think because he was doing pop, it held him back. There was too much of that in there. Too much of trying to be mainstream but making it satirical that that kept him from really pushing the boundaries. Because there's a lot of really great ideas in that album. Really great ideas, but it just couldn't reach that next level for me. It just it just couldn't hit that next level of being awesome. And I think it's because of the form he used. It's because he was still doing very clear cut verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus, and yeah. that simplification, that keep with a steady beat, don't change up the melody too much, and everything like that, and took a pop song and in each track just twisted it in one way had he started twisting them further and further instead of just making the lyrics satirical or making the tone satirical or choosing different instruments had he really started pushing the uh, the envelope he really would have done something masterful but it's just because he kept to his roots too much <laughs> it fell that sh- it fell a little That's short. always a painful thing. Because you stuck true to who you are, I liked it less. But, it, you know, it, sometimes it's... Well, ghost. no, it's the whole thing is he's trying something different, and he's going for yeah, different. Yeah. But he, he, he's... That was a thematic push, really, yeah, in terms yeah. of what he was saying about pop music. But that he was, was keeping his safety blanket a little bit too much, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, yeah, that is... Actually, the reasoning there is very similar to my, my Abandoned Pools reasoning, come to think of it. And there was even, like, that track, I forget the name of it, but it was toward the end of the album, where he bookended this fairly standard track with like this gorgeous harp intro and harp outro such that i i like i just wanted it's i wanted saxophones. more it, it's it, that yeah, saxophone yeah it's the same saxophone reasoning as as uh as robbie williams you introduce a saxophone and it's like well do something with it and that's even to the example with daft punk we 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 discussed at length that the whole latter half of the album was so safe all right and we just wanted more so we're more online, but I think that's a good segue into biggest disappointment because I want to I want to make the uh, distinction there. Disappointment for me was a personal thing. Me too. As a, as a, as a as a category, the biggest disappointment is is what just what I wanted out of a band in this case, not what I wanted out of music, but what I wanted out of a band and what I didn't get. I totally agree, and I'm happy to start off. All right. I've been a diehard Bare Naked Ladies fan since high school. A friend of mine got me really into them. Their live show is hysterical. They had great comedic timing. They were a fun band. So when John told me that we were going to be doing Grinning Streak by Bare Naked Ladies, I was so excited. Because even though their music over the years have become more, has become more pop and, you know, had leanings towards that, I still expected great things because they're a clever band. And this album was so disappointing. Still, listen to the three tracks that were somewhat redeemable. But the rest of the album, I just... I can't listen to it. It just makes me angry. Because even I'd seen them live a, co- a month after they ca- that album came out. And they were fantastic. But that album just... They, all of what I know they're capable of as a band and as much of a fan as I am, 
they didn't meet just about any of those marks. And that's why they're they're my most disappointing album of 2013. Okay. Mine isn't quite so harsh, but it still still ate me up in terms of me bringing them on uh, to the podcast here. I, I went for an old favorite of mine uh, in episode 43. Wow, I've really been relaxing on the um, on the number deliveries here. I should have been saying the episode, episode numbers earlier, but uh, episode 43 was low, The Invisible Way. I brought that album on for, for a word that I threw to you guys and you thought I was just crazy for. The word slowcore. What is it? It's crazy. What the hell is that? Well, it's a unique thing, and I, I, I thoroughly believe that the earlier portion of Lowe's discography, and they have a really extensive discography, so to say earlier portion is almost everything up till present. It had that slow core bass. That that was their sound. It was a sound that had this very definable sadness to it. It's not anything that anyone would list that and it's like, oh I'm not sure if I could relate to that. It's it's fairly universal in its in its general sadness. At the same time it might be a little bit more depressing than what most people can handle. But hey I can handle it. <laughs> and that's just what I wanted. I know that they had other sides to themselves, and that side, of course, is the folk side, uh, the folk acoustic. They're a very... They border on minimalism because of the fact that they're... Um, they're just a three-piece band. Usually it's just... It's Alan Sparhawk, um, Mimi Parker, uh, his wife, and and another bassist. And sometimes you have tracks where the Mimi Parker is just doing a, a, a slight drum beat on the tom-toms which just goes steady no no frills no nothing else but it's just that with her perfectly serene voice and this is what i wanted i wanted that chilling nature instead in invisible way i got a folk album there's no shortage of that absolutely no shortage of that it was always a sideline with their work but it's just it's not them at their core and we got a bunch of folk albums this year. Exactly, and that was the first one, and it was almost forgettable. Yeah, I, I, I actually had honestly forgotten it. Yeah, well, that was that was that was my choice, and it was it was a sad way. I I still encourage you to go through their discography. It's a shame. This my choice for for uh, biggest disappointment. A little controversial because of what the album is actually supposed to represent. But let's be frank. I expect better from Queens of the Stone Age. I really do. I just did not like a lot of that album. I felt like it may have been a little phoned in. Now, to be frank, the content of Like Clockwork, in retrospect, there's depth to it, sure. But I still can't get it out of the album. And I just, after listening to them for years and really just grooving to their work, I wanted more. I expected more. And I just, they did not live up to what they used to be for me. And that's that's a disappointment to me. Now, Bare Naked Ladies, I thought it might be fun, but I also knew they weren't the greatest band in the world. Uh, Less Than Jake, I thought it might be fun. I know they're kind of childish. Queens... You're thinking of Jimmy Eat World. Jimmy Eat World. I keep saying less than <laughs> That was Jake. a weird mess up. Jimmy Eat World. I don't know. I, I Freudian slipped them all the time. Yeah. But Queens of the Stone Age, I just love rocking out to. I really think they're they're top notch. And Light Clock, Clockwork just felt really flat for me when compared to the pantheon of their work. I follow you. I, I didn't have the emotional attachment with early Queens of the Stone Age, merely aside from knowing that they were a, ca- a catchy, fun rock band. And it's true, I didn't quite get that. And I 
did have the attachment John has, and I think it lives up to it. But, gotcha. I mean, a lot of that stuff with disappointment comes to your personal connection, a lot of it. So. Right. But let's talk right. about something. I, I want to, actually, I, I think I, I want to oh, start with something that's a little, that we might go through pretty quickly. And that's uh, the most mainstream. Or the, as John put it earlier, the genericist. Um, which I, I like that term a little bit better. This one's actually really easy for me. Yeah, me too. S- super easy. This is uh, Native by One Republic. It was an even three and so perfectly pop mainstream that I just, I still like some of the songs, but there's nothing to write home about. I'll jump in there. Same thing. Native by One Republic, Republic. episode 41. And uh, I didn't give it a three. I think I gave it a 2.9, if I recall, just because I, ne- I I don't associate mainstream with average. I associate it with slightly below. Yes, they were kind of holding the bar, but just the fact that you don't attempt at any point in your album to hike up that bar is just grounds for me to notch it just below uh, average. Tears on Tape by him. Interesting. Mm. It was very safe. Very, very safe when you get down to the core of it. Nothing inventive about it. Nothing offensive about it. <laughs> really, throw it on the radio. Everybody can listen to it. It just doesn't do anything for me. Of course there's it's no... music. Yes. And that's about the extent of it. There you go. Well, of course there's no there's no arguments on the on the uh, on the year in review, but uh, that, that that's a funny one because as generic as that was, I agree. It was um yeah, love metal is still a little bit off the beaten track yeah. from the average thing. So I really I stick yeah, with Matt but... in this regard that this was a for generic. You're thinking about what gets to the rest of the world, and One Republic had that sound akin to fun. Uh, the band Fun, which I think we, we referenced nonstop throughout that podcast, and it's just it's a pervasive style that I feel is embodied by Native's album cover, uh, yeah. with you know the the Native the and the, the oxen, the oxen, you know, in the background. It's 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 to the core of humanity. It's all about life, man. Like like how broad can you possibly get? You know, it's about life. I'll give you. Life. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But love metal. <laughs> that I don't feel love. I feel like I caught your point already. Or metal for like. Yeah, I got it you. was. It was. Meh. Before, okay, that's something I just had to have a momentary <laughs> last for, but that was good. That was good. Before we start closing up for our for our you know the pen penultimate of the year, what? I want to talk about the most forgettable um, album of this year. So, for me, do you guys not have most forgettable? I wrote that down. Uh oh. We got the bomb. Uh, no, in fact, I probably have one that you don't have written down, and that's the most derailed. Oh, okay. Let's, let's be on our own thing, then. You do yet that, stick with your category. This is the personal choice category. So, for me... We're the, on the fly. The, the, mo- the biggest booby prize and the penultimate of insult is something that I don't even remember. And the most forgettable album for me was Jimmy Eat World's Damage. Or Damages. That's sad, too, because that was fairly recent. And I don't remember Well, comparatively it. recent. Uh, my biggest problem with J- the Jimmy Eat World record is I don't remember any of it. All right, interjection, I... everybody. That was episode 56. Go, listen to the album, and then come back to us here and see if you remember it in that short time frame. That'll just, be the tell-all. It was so un, un... Like, there was nothing that stood out. Jimmy Eat World at least would do things lyrically, emotionally, that would stand out. And in this record, it was just a baseline of meh. Yeah. So tell me what derailed you the most. Okay, because, yeah, I don't, forgettable, I mean, I could probably agree with you on any number of things there. Yeah, I don't really remember Jimmy Eat World either. But, yeah, I'm going to go on a, on a different way here. Uh, the most derailed track 
for me. In other words, we have a lot of bombs, you know, moments where you just go, what? A lot of times you're going, what, in a positive way, like uh, Darlings of Lumberland, where everything is, is, a, is a new experience, and you're learning, and you're being intrigued, and that's fantastic. But then there are just the ones where just like, that just does not make sense. Where you really gotta, you know, say, what card did you pull right there? And this one, I'm going back to Dirty Projectors. Considering I've already praised Dirty Projectors for the emotionality of one particular track in this list, I gotta, I gotta be kind of clear here. That album is a very, is a mix with me because they made almost as many mistakes as they made, uh, as they made positive points. That's their track, Dance For You. Now, if you need any help here, go to Dirty Projectors, episode 40, Swing Low Magellan is the album, track Dance For You, timestamp 155, to 213. Although listen to the to the preceding and the succeeding sections to get the context here. It was a pretty happy-go-lucky track. I mean, think of the title, Dance For You. But it has this such this strange cutaway to a dark, foreboding orchestral interlude. And this was I mean, all all respect to Dirty Projectors. This was my choice. I love their work. Like I said, I already picked them for something, but I gotta do it. I'm calling it ready. I'm calling hipster irony. A.K.A. probably not ironic at all, just effing random as sin. I mean, that could have been something else, but that supersedes any other examples, such as sax, the saxophones, yeah. or, or harp interlude. These are things that people conceive of as pleasant sounds that they use to bookend things, so at least I understand the train of thought. Yeah. But this was just bizarre. I, I don't get how those two intermingle at all. If you're going to give me a dancing or a dancing happy-go-lucky song, give me that. If you're going to give me an orchestral song, which I know I love, then give me it and not... I'm not going to do the math here, but so many seconds of it. Ugh. And I have our little ray of hope. <laughs> that song from that album that wasn't a very good album, but gives you hope that one day this musician becomes a true artist. And that's Putty Boystrad on Flying Lotus. Ah, oh, for all the random little. But that was snippets, last year. But you know what? I'll let you finish. I gotta, I gotta bring this one up. Because this is that little ray of hope. I hope someday we get something like this again. This is me going full fledged nostalgia here, because Putty Boystrad's awesome. It really is. We keep talking about this album because we do. It really is that impactful. It was the ray of brilliance in a, in a See, bland mess. No, yeah, not even bland. No, yeah, it wasn't. Bl there was, there in, were cool moments, a, but it was a mess first and foremost. Yeah, in a sea of randomness, in the most disorganized closet, it was that shoebox with that thing that you were looking for in it. <laughs> That's it, it was that one instant where you can go, "Hey, that was pretty good. I hope he does it again. I hope sure. he does more of that." Let it slide, even though it was last year. So shall we get well, into the... Uh, well, I got, well, all of a sudden I had to come up with my own little uh, thing. There you go. No, so, no, no, no I like that. Fair. I like that. You did good with that. It's a little right. hope. <laughs> a little hole in this podcast. All right. Uh, we're coming down to the, the tail end here. This is, and I'm going to tell you this all ahead of time, what you're about to get here. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have no idea what that's doing in the mic. All right. The worst, worst. song, the worst album, the best song... And the best album. So let's start with the worst song. So this I had to actually, you know, go find and refresh my memory. Because we've heard a lot of bad. As much as we've heard a lot of good, we've also heard a lot of bad. And this takes us back to... And there's going to be a little bit of overlap here. 
The worst song for me is from probably one of the worst albums I've ever heard. And it was something that was beyond disappointment because we just wanted nothing to do with it. So this is a song from the album Trey by Green Day. And the song is called Dirty Rotten Bastards. It's just, it's not just god-awful for Green Day, which is bad enough because they've shown that they have talent, but it's god-awful for the pantheon of music. This song didn't need to exist. It's pointless. They did stuff like it on Kerplunk back when they were young and inexperienced. Now they're old and very experienced, but still (laughs) playing like they're young and inexperienced. There's no logical reason for this. None. Green Day has showcased that they have talent. Even if you're not a fan of their work, American Idiot is a great record. It's a great record that did something different for the time and, and, and at least promoted them as a good rock band. And then they go and do something like this, which just, the lyrics are bad. The music is bad. It's badly, it, it, it's badly placed on the record. It, there's no redeeming qualities about the song and it just makes me angry. I'm not even a fan of Green Day, but I recognize that back when I was in high school when American Idiot came out, I knew that that was maturity for them. I knew it at the time. I knew it like, hmm, maybe this is a new side of Green Day, and I'm curious to see what they do next. And, uh, yeah, this was a sad, sad mess of follow-up. Worst song of the year is a song I actually had to discredit when rating the album. I was so infuriated. And this is all personal. This is this is just me and my connection to the song. Jump around. Oh, I just could not stand, and still can't stand, and probably will never stand. Whatever last did to that song, it was such an impactful part of my youth. To completely change what it's supposed to mean, I just don't want him to ever do it again. And I know it was fan service. I know he was trying something. And I'm sure other people love it, and I know other people love it, but I, 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 like, I don't like anything he, that he did to it. I, it, 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 it ruined a part of my childhood. <laughs> it's a shame. Okay, maybe not that far. Yeah, it's maybe a not shame that far. because he, he went on, so I remember that Everlast went on Twitter to say that the song is meant to be taken lightheartedly. It's okay to laugh at the track, but, you know... That just can't, it's not going to be able to apply to every single listener. Some listeners, they, they, they're really comfortable with what, uh, with what they've given, and people are fickle, and it's okay that John's fickle. We know, like, we know he's fickle. I'm a little bit fickle. Yeah. Fine. All right. I'm going to use my worst song as an immediate segue into my worst album. Perfect. Go for because it. Because the worst song is very simple, and the worst album, I have an explanation. The worst song is Gliding, off of... Deep Chords, Somer, which we did in 70. Why? Not much of a reason, but the album! (laughs) Okay. I think a lot of why I dislike this album would seem self-explanatory if you listened to it and knew me well enough. But it's not quite so simple. Getting the obvious out of the way, this album is slow and boring as shit. (laughs) But that's not why I dislike it. Huge scathes of my library could be described as slow and boring, objectively. (laughs) But that doesn't mean they can't be emotional, beautiful, or nostalgic, or have a kind of narrative, all of which provide engagement on a number of other levels, such that stupid words like slow and boring show their shallowness and really don't matter in the end. Unfortunately, this album, Somer, achieved none of those things, which leaves us merely with slow and boring, which alone are pretty telling. The fact that this is an ambient album is no defense. 
because the few chords that compose, the few chords that compose its entire structure, simply don't strike any chord with me. That's as if I asked you to listen to G minor for an hour, or D minor, or B flat minor. Would it really matter in the end because you'd have no context with which to frame the concept? That's an insult to minimalism, and it doesn't inspire people to find beauty in a gentle, breathing, low-key aesthetic. Because here, in Sommer, all their reservations are sadly justified. <laughs> and gliding? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> you just picked one. <laughs> I could have very well. All I remember I was my least, the least um, memorable of... I mean, I had nothing to say for it. I had no notes. So, much like Steve, my... <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I really am. But my... I know, but... I, I will say there are critics that liked it. Okay. It's not just me. Sure. <laughs> I had the same defense for Everlast, so it slides. Um, my much like Steve, my worst song leads right into my worst album. By the time we got to Trey by Green Day, yeah, it was a no pick. I'm okay. I'm jumping on this one. It's my choice too. I'm. Sh- I was so like. It was John's pick both times for the first two. And I feel by, sorry for that. But, but by the time we got to the third one, none of us wanted to do it, which is why we had to do it. There's nothing memorable about the record. I had to talk him into letting it be a no pick instead of my pick. It, the, 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 uh, the, this album for me makes me angry for what I just said. Green Day is a band that clearly has a talent. They've showcased it. A maturity that they have. Even after... American Idiot, 21st Century Breakdown, had a kind of play structure like American Idiot did, and it had a kind of maturity. And then they released this garbage, a trilogy of terrible. And the only way that a trilogy of terrible can be worse is if you say it's going to be epic. And it it wasn't. And it wasn't. To, to, To go into metaphor, and I have to do at least one metaphor show, but everybody hates the prequels of Star Wars. Mm. This wasn't just the prequels of Star Wars. This was the Phantom Menace three freaking times, all right? <laughs> we heard it, we heard it again, we heard it a Believe third time. Believe it or not, I... And I... it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse! And then they expected you to buy the three-pack with all the extra bonus footage that was explaining how this was the greatest album of all time. Yeah, <laughs> I saw... And they were like, oh no, this is epic. No, you don't know what that word means. This is a word that hit mainstream... And Billy Armstrong is too old to understand what epic is actually supposed to mean. So shame on you, and shame on Mike, and shame on Trey. Because you guys better come up with something better. Bravo. This this album just defined what's wrong with mainstream established artists. It's the Aerosmith effect. Except... Aerosmith keeps making okay to good music. Yes, I at least enjoy their work. This is when a band gets so comfortable with what they think they can do that they do whatever the hell they want and they don't think logically about how to present proper work it's just at least with with bare naked ladies there were some redeeming qualities there were some pop songs that were fun to listen to there was nothing i enjoyed about any of these three records especially the third there was maybe a song on the first one there was actually i was very defensive of of some of the stuff on uno there was kill the dj and then on the second album there was a song i liked as well but by the third album there was not a redeeming track there was not a redeeming quality i didn't care i didn't want to hear it and it and it lived up to how terrible i expected it to be i kept having to go come on guys we did the other two let's do the third no no not my pick no 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 pick Make it an all pick. No, okay, fine, a no pick. I'm glad that you guys are taking the other side of the coin here, because I easily could have taken... I think Green Day would have been the cheap shot for me, 
Um, no, it would it would have been the low bo- low And see, I felt that way about um, I felt that way about Deep Chord because it just it was so boring and mindless. I didn't even want to go there. Well, that's just the thing. I mean, at the end, when I com- that was that was the clincher for my decision is that when I compared them both, as much as I disliked Trey, I had to compare content versus nothing. Yeah, that's true. And you had and we did have a reaction, so I can see your logic. Yeah. And even well, I will make one argument and not to Deep Chord's benefit. But nothing is actually better in this case than the crap we got in Trey. And that's my argument. That's, that's why I don't like All right, Trey. you can stick with that's that. That's my up. argument. All right, so. I'd rather hear nothing. I'd rather, at it's points, has, I'd rather have. He has a point. I'd rather There's have no glass shoved in my it. ears than listen to Trey again. Wow. Yeah. I couldn't. Right. I couldn't. But I now, ended up skipping the half. Half of every song. I know, but Somewhere is song. so boring. Uh, you know what? It wouldn't be a good podcast if we if we ended agreeing. Yeah. So I like this. But, yes. I like where we're at. Well, we're let's move on to greener pastures <sighs> because we have what we have. Is my one one of my two favorite categories. My two favorite categories are best harmonies. I'll be right out there. Best vocals. I love vocals. Yeah. My favorite character category is best song, and best song is because this is something. I've always envisioned, yeah, it's got everything. Everything we just talked about. But there's always something a little bit more. It's like it can become part of your personal soundtrack. That's something that, that really can be pulled to best song. Mm. And not just your personal soundtrack, but like everybody's. You're just emboldened by decision right there. With those. There's, with there's something about this song that really becomes ineffable. It becomes an aspect of life. And for me... The Envisaged Conundrum. The the self-titled. The self-titled song from the self-titled uh, from the album. The title track from the album. The, thank the you. Con- thank you. That's, You're that's more coherent. Wow. God sticks the Invisage Conundrum. That song is a masterpiece. Period. Nothing else can really. You can't argue with that. I don't care if you want to try. You can't, because it has musical quality that is really just a bar above everybody else with the exception of maybe chick korea when it comes to that mm. but the invisible conundrum i'll be i'll be frank was like top three in every other category we've gone through when it comes to songs yep it was just that powerful i found other reasons to love things like most emotional best lyrics best vocal but there was always something in, in, in the way they were singing, in what they were saying, in how they were composing. This, I want to hear the symphony that is made from this song. I want to hear this song on the macro scale. Because like I said before, I feel like this is a blend of dozens of melodies. Of the melodies of a whole album into one coherent piece. And I love it for it. It has all the right parts in just the most beautiful artistic way of the year. Well then I'm jumping in here because... Ooh tough really tough such that i'm i've been debating to the to the moment yet again because it depends on how i'm really gonna look at this i have a feeling no spoiler alert it's the end of the podcast but spoiler alert, you, you probably know what my best album of the year is going to be and it's for that reason that you know for the selfish re well for the selfish reasons i want them to be tracks on that album I also, but I wanted to be fair, so I wanted also to look at other things that stand alone beautifully, even if they don't always work a hundred percent with the album. 
So I'm just going to mention two right now, but I do have a final decision. The Envisage Conundrum exact track that John just mentioned, alongside Atlas Novus from Scale the Summit, the Migration. Both of them are prog tracks, so I guess you can kind of tell my leanings here, but it's the it's that instrumentation of it that really drives them through, and you know, John said it pretty seriously when it said it was the that ineffable quality that really drives the song home and makes makes you connect with it on a whole nother level, such that the, these these other words here, the um, you know, best lyrics, best uh, best innovation, best technical quality, all that stuff. Kinda of just has to melt away in a in a pot in the end. It has to it has to just bleed into one single stew that you either like or hate. That's really what it comes down to. You don't dissect ingredients. Do you like the stew or not? So here's the thing. I was borderline going with Atlas Novus right now because honestly, Atlas Novus almost does uh, bring me to that um that soundtrack to your life kind of thing. There's a quality in that particular track, which comes uh, somewhat later, which is a signature quality for Scale the Summit, that that bending on the guitar that wanes, where then another guitar steps in there to overlap it. It actually could could serve as also one of the most innovative moments, on on any album that we've reviewed on any song, and it 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 packs a real emotional punch with me. But even I have to admit that there are some moments in that track which fall back into the realm of typical prog, which typical prog can jump around. It really, really jumps around. It's in one thing, it's in another, it's in another. You do have to ask a question in the end. Hell, I enjoyed all of those sections, but was it a, was it a cohesive piece? And there are just certain little holes in Scale the Summit which are just not there in Invisit's Conundrum. Um, and as a title track, it worked pretty wonderfully for the exact section, the exact lines that that John described toward the end that build up. Will you call on me, Sandy? That That's it right there. I mean, that is the climax to a piece that had been perfectly organized up until that point. Brilliant intro, engaging verse, pre-choruses that sort of tease you as to what was the real climax, such that when it finally comes, it is so cathartic. That's what Godstick's does the best at, and the only reason it's not any other track on that album is simply because they made this the title track for very good reason. This is the most singular standalone track such that you don't need all of the other tracks with it. The rest, they help. I'll leave it at that for now. So, before I take us into our album of the year, I'm going to discuss my um, best song. And I agree. The best song, ultimately, regardless of all the other reasons we pick, what's the best and why and why we rate, it has to have that ineffable quality that really connects to you. And that's why I did... And, 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 and Invisus Conundrum was up there. It was definitely one of the contenders, which is no surprise to anybody. But this song, I just I couldn't find something I enjoyed more. Still to this day, I could listen to this song on loop and never get tired of it. And that song is Darlings of Lumberland. This song is a song that just does something so different. And even though it seems to jump around like you talk about with those prog tracks, the difference is here. The song from the beginning, within the first few seconds, it jumps. So you know this is where this song is going. Oh, to be clear, that, that track is 
is is an <coughs> exception to the rule. Like it yeah. jumps around, but yes, it has organization to it. Perfect. You know, from the minute you get on that ride, you're going all over the place, and you're along for it. And lyrically, not complex, but beautifully sang and beautifully written, and it very just you know a face value monster story about these creatures that lived in Lumberland or these people who were creatures who lived in Lumberland. But the music is so powerful, the lyrics almost don't matter in this this situation. They're kind of just another instrument. The song just... For something that I emotionally connect with, not because I feel a specific emotion, but just because the emotion is just enjoyment or happiness. I just... I, I love this song so much. And there was nothing that could tear it down for me. I, I feel that this song is a five-star song and a, the song of the year because... This is a song that other songs should live up to trying to do. Something different, something crazy, but that's something that works. I'll give you this for that track. It's definitely more accessible, perhaps. Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody could just jump into uh, Invisit's Conundrum. It might be a little um, tougher. Darlings of Lumberland has, has, a, has a nice universal quality to it. I've, done, I've shown it off to a bunch of people, and outside the context of the album, oh. it can be quite abrasive. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Now I'll take you there. All right. But now I'm going to jump into the big one. This Album is, of the year. The most important thing you can listen to of the year. So if you went back to 2013, if you went back on 2013, this is the album that really made the biggest impact. And it could be for any number of reasons. I mean, you assume the emotionality, the great lyrics, and the great instrumentation is there. But, but it's more than that. With a great album, it doesn't have to be five star. I mean, I imagine it'd be hard to pick a four and a half over a five because you rate it five for a reason. But this is an album that you connected with and is of a quality that you believe the world needs to hear. If you couldn't hear anything but one album from this year, this was the album to hear. And for me, and this was tough, there was quite a few that were a contender, but... Ultimately, after re-listening to it very recently, and even tweeting about it as such, I couldn't ignore the power of Godstick's Envisage Conundrum. Uh. This is an album that I didn't know what to make of when Steve told me it was coming. And then when I heard it, I immediately related to a sound that was so familiar within that grunge. It truly finally made me understand what prog meant. That it was not just that Prague isn't a sound necessarily, but it's a style. And I really gripped with this. I mean, from the singing, the instrumentation, the flow of the album, the arc, the theme, the emotion. I mean, the way Darren Charles sings, you feel every word that comes out of his mouth. And it makes you go along this ride that he's on and the rest of the brand, the band just ushers you along with him. And I apologize that I don't remember the other band member's name. I do feel terrible about that. But this is just one of those records that I didn't expect to be my favorite. I really thought for most of the year that, that Macklemore was going to be it. But I heard this record and I was absolutely blown away. And I have not been able to put it down since. I listened to it at least once a week. It just It's my favorite record of the year and one of my favorite records ever. Wow. 
And well, I, I do want to interject to say that I'm I'm astounded that it hit you with the same magnitude. I wanted to introduce to you, but I I had no you know I know we have different background tastes in music. I'm I'm really astounded that that I I I mean I'll I'll toot my own horn in one area, and that's that compositional quality. But um, that I guess really does speak in the end. So uh, before I say my obvious, I think we should break up this love fest a little bit. It's wrong. Well. Mine's kind of obvious. I can't argue with it. I love this from the first time I heard it to the time I heard it today. I can't deny Macklemore and Ryan Lewis because I want to sing along with every single one of the songs. I feel emotionally connected to them. And I know that's what they were going for. I know that's why Macklemore pours himself into his music. But... While God Sticks is just so impressive and beautiful and monumental, I just connect more with the heist. It has such a message in its in its ideas of hope, in its bald-faced truth. I have to respect that. I said when we reviewed it, this is where I want music to go. This is how I want rap to be made. The high levels of composition, keeping its rap feel keeping its hip-hop musical style and speaking from the heart about anything and everything you can. I have to go with this. It's what I want. And starting with 10,000 hours and ending with the good old boys, I love every second of every single one of those songs. There are those little hiccups in God Sticks. Even Scale the Summit, which is another retroactive five, which was also a contender. With those little hiccups, I don't get them in the heist. That is, it's it's an album that last year I rated because it's something I have to listen front to back every single time. And that was all American Rejects. This, this even transcends that. This is, I hear one song and I can almost dive into the whole album at, this, at that one time. I get the gauntlet right there. So yeah, the heist. All right. Well, big surprise. What am I picking? Hmm, I don't know. I'll say this. Dirty Projectors were pretty good. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Dirty Projectors. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> Those moments. All right. I'm going to start off by saying I definitely hear no hiccups. I'm not even sugarcoating anything. I don't hear hiccups in the Invisits conundrum. And it's pretty unprecedented for that. I listen to a lot of music in my life. But I'm not even an album guy. I'm saying that right up front. A lot of times I really am about the moment. The moment, or to a greater extent, the song. This is what I've come to judge by. I'm a song skipper. I just, it's it's natural because I feel like a lot of times in the last 50 years of music, it's just become kind of commonplace to treat the album as a compilation and not really a full arc. You get very, very seldom do you get the concept albums, and those are pretty serious. Um, it's another thing to step one little mark below that and stay, I still have individual tracks, but it functions as a group so well. So it is, in fact, the first album. Invisits Conundrum by Godsticks is the first album that I've heard in a very long time with hardly any hiccups. It's about the best thing I could have hoped for at this particular time. Despite all the great albums we've done, I've kind of been living in the past lately. I've been listening to a lot of Rhapsody in Blue, 
West Side Story soundtrack, the works of Leonard Bernstein. I mean, this is where my head's been at lately. Uh, Stravinsky, the kind of composers that would sit there and really treat. They they always focused on the macro scale, and when they focused on the my on the uh, on the moment, it would be very very astute their placement of it in the grand scheme of things. And this is just the one. I mean, this is the big separator for me in terms of. Uh, in terms of rock and and classical, where where really there shouldn't be much music is music in the end, and it's all just about what gets you. Uh, but that's the one thing that I never quite got in rock. I get so many other things out of rock, but that's the one thing I never really got. It can be flighty. It can be full of attitude. You know all these other things that just they don't always deliver me the full scale forty five minutes. You know if if that's about how long a person can pay attention. Uh, masterpiece exploration of of modality and and uh, and emotion all the highs and lows that somewhat do relate to life do uh provide some kind of mirror for you and well congratulations godsticks you are that you are that band you have you have breached that gap to me such that you're i mean they're not really they're not classical by any stretch, but you can hear the classical influence, which is why I don't see uh, uh, the track Disclosure um, as a hiccup. Yeah. I, I don't agree. see it as a hiccup at all. It's it's very natural for me because it, it, it fills out their influences, and it's a perfect intermission for an otherwise perfect prog rock album. And yes, I, I mean, all of your... I, I really can't say much more in terms of detail as you did, Matt. Uh, it, they, they, they are the best of prog to me beating out many of the obsessions of the 70s, which had their flaws. So there you are. This Modern is... prox is better than old-fashioned frog to me. Newer sometimes is better. There you go. Um, th- just to close up on our on our year in review, um, of course, want to thank the fans for listening. Um, but, but... I'm not done. I'll get there. Oh, okay. I want to <laughs> thank the fans for listening. I want to thank my co-hosts for another great year. And for a year coming, I want to thank the guests we've had over the course of the year. So many to name. Um, you brought us great works and or great performances or both, and we appreciate it. Um, but before we close, I want to talk about some albums very briefly. Just mention some albums that I didn't get to this year. That I really wish I did. And I could, I could say in the new year that we will, but I don't know that I will. When we look back on this year, we really... We never get to do everything we want to do. Whether it's time constraints or... Well, well even when we're we, on schedule, we end up waiting three weeks just so we can go. You know? Yeah. And sometimes we need a break. And sometimes we have, we have guests, people. We have yeah. guests. And we like to be well-rounded, so, you know. I'm not saying we don't get guests on. I love the guys that we've brought on. I think we've really had some fun people on here. Yeah. But there's things we don't... We just can't do. I never got my J-pop. No. Well, I still haven't found an album I want to bring on for J-pop. One of the biggest things I wanted to do was to bring on Serge Tankian again. And he fronted Jazz Is Christ, who created a self-titled album. And I'm really upset we didn't get a chance to do that one. Mm. It's Serge. Sit some of it down. All that stuff. Doing jazz. It is pretty like crazy. Jazz. That's a bizarre idea. And then we had another one, and this is an album that I actually chose Deep Chord over it. I think you guys would have liked this one a lot more. I just wanted to show you what I 
really liked that I thought it was weird. You wanted to go to the bottom, you know, and then and you know raise our spirits. And it was and something like that. from a band like that I that I have fallen in love with recently, and that's John Hopkins and one of the more recent albums, mm. Immunity. And it's not very recent, but it's one of the better pieces, a much shorter album than Deep Chord, but definitely a more cohesive piece, and has more than two chords. And then there's the one that I was just going to bring on just to piss Steve off. And that's Marshall Mathers' LP2. Oh, the new Eminem piece. I don't... I don't hate his work at all. No, but I think it would have pissed you off for us to just do such mainstream... mainstream and from rap. what I've heard, not very good rap. Yeah. Nelson yeah, I, I, not I have fond not, of it. I haven't heard good things about that Maybe anyway. Either. And yeah. I, I was not a fan of, of his recent SNL performance. Now, of course, I people always say that... Uh, that SNL um, lip synced and lip syncing and all that stuff. They useless. also say that the acoustics in the stage aren't too good and all this other stuff. But you know what? They've had a lot of good performers on, and I guess if you're gonna expect anything from Eminem, you should expect live rapping. <laughs> yeah, and that's just he was. There's that. It was listless. Uh, my albums, I have four of them that I regret. Um, from the beginning of the year, I said I was going to bring on the Hobbit soundtrack from um, the, for the first Hobbit movie, and I just got so sidetracked. And we really didn't do a lot of soundtracks. We did a few. I would have liked to have brought it on, but I think it's time has passed. Um, Korn this year put out a new record, and we t- reviewed their dubstep record last what, year. What's it called? The Paradigm Shift, because that's not cocky. Um, which I would have loved to bring on, even if not to just crap on it, but to see if they learned anything from what we saw the potential in their mixing with dubstep. Wait, wait, wait. I just got to point out. Path of Totality, Paradigm Shift. I'm expecting, and I made this joke earlier, off air, it's going to be big. That's the name of their next album. It's going to be big. Might as well just call it that, yeah. Might as well. Or Leet Uber Epicness. Oh, good God. <laughs> um... Another album is one that me and Steve had tossed back and forth, kind of trying to get the other one to bring it on, because then we would we could move on to other things. Um, a band that we're both fans of called Phoenix. Yeah. Um, they have a new album called that came out in 2013 called Bankrupt with an exclamation point. Um, I really did want to bring it on, but it was there was just... really no reason why we shouldn't have. It was more one of those things like like the band. It didn't signify. We like to bring on our things that define our own our own tastes because that way we we create the maximum diversity but when you have a crossover there and it wasn't just enough of a crossover that john was on board in order to be an all pick so they just got the chef this year i still would hope to have him on next year yeah we'll have to see and then the um a nerdcore rapper that i had actually discovered through hearing chip the dark lord and um um mc fern a lot his name is adam warrock and he had a new record called the middle of nowhere which came out uh towards the end of the year the album artwork was actually a cartoon version of himself looking like Dr. Manhattan sitting on Mars, but fully clothed. But it was his facial that's, structure that's and stuff. That's good, because he was naked, and that, was, that would be disconcerting. And he has songs on that record that I very much enjoy, like one called uh, <laughs> Sinestro Core, and he sings about how the music he's singing is not nerdcore, it's the next level, it's the Sinestro Core. Which the is, the, is the competitors of the Green Lantern Core. They're ruled by fear. So they're you know, yellow. I think it would have those. been fun to bring a album that yeah, me and John would have enjoyed the content, and Steve would have been completely lost on the reference. But you know, maybe next year. Yeah, I, cool. I would have been doing that voice the whole time. Oh, good. Now you see here. I think I did something similar like that last week. Oh yes, that was in response to Matt's. Um, yes, for that the rapping. Yes. 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 Uh, they're right. Rapping. The, the rapping. Okay. I only have two. 
for the wish I'd done, and both are really different. Uh, we'll start with the uh, odd one. I, I think we, we could have been a little bit more generic, or no, well, generic's the wrong word. We could have been a little more mainstream in our, in our last technical review of the year, uh, our search the Billboard 200, whatnot. I think my goal with wasn't, you know, Beyonce's a respected singer, regardless of being in the Billboard 200. That's not wasn't wasn't quite the goal. The goal was to go super mainstream, um, such that. Uh, her fandom is inescapable, and I think there's, or at least her presence in media is inescapable. So let's just come out and say it. Miley Cyrus, she's everywhere, and especially now that she's crazy, essentially, she's literally everywhere. And she recently released a new album called Bangers. So it's not exactly your Hannah Montana anymore. She wants to push what? the boundary. But, but but what's wrong with fish and bangers? I don't know. I don't. I love even... a good fry. Don't even. Okay. That's what the, their fries in England. I yeah, was I got. I got you. An illusion. I got you. Gotcha. Pretending English listeners now. God damn it. Oh, I'm sorry. Welsh. Welsh. Sorry. All right. <laughs> anyway, Miley Cyrus. The point is, I just she. I, you know what? I'm not even going to explain this. She is everywhere. She is everywhere. <coughs> I think she you should be know here. why she that... should be here. <laughs> That's my reason. Fair. What's you your, like it? What's but the, I don't want to get a disease of the mind. Yes. Well, what's your other? If there was a sa- all that, the illusions you could make with that. In truth, if there was a saving grace to her music, I wouldn't be so critical. And I haven't listened to anything full by Miley Cyrus. So there you are. Because I haven't been able to. All right. All because right. Because then all right, my ears all right, bleed. All right. All right. All right. What's your other one, Steve? My other one is completely different. My other one has a track on it that would have easily been a contender for my favorite song of the year. Mm. Were it actually from this year, two thousand six. Wow, way back. But I discovered it this year. Okay. And this is why it's a wish I'd done. And we may never, depending upon whether we get to retro or whether I just decide to pull a fast one on you and and bring this. But I guess you can't quite call it relevant per se. But I still think it's. Some of the most brilliant, innovative music currently. My Brightest Diamond, he- uh, spearheaded by composer Shara Warden, who is probably one of the most brilliant uh, composers ever to come out of the Sufjan Stevens ilk. And people who have been associated with Sufjan Stevens in the past have gone on to do very, very impressive things. And she is one of them. She started the band My Brightest Diamond, and they had an album, Bring Me the Workhorse. Off of which the track "Dragonfly" would have easily, perhaps, been my favorite song of the year. I know that. I know that song. Do you indeed, though? Yeah, no, I know that song. I don't know though. Dragonfly is a kind remember. of a common name for a song, and I'm having no. I know my brightest time. Right I know that. Okay. I know that. But I'm trying to remember. That could take you a while. You have to play so. that for me. Don't worry, folks. All right. Well, at some jo- point, maybe I'll get you to listen to the album. Maybe we don't review. John it. will still be thinking next year. We hope, yeah. maybe. And I'll say this just as a, as a as a final closeout for New Year hopes. I do, I I, I don't want to set because I was pretty leery about giving a five to uh, any band, and God's sake, the only ones I, I I've given it to. Um, but I do expect at some point in the future some other album that has the same long term compositional complexity as they had in God's sake, but it doesn't have to be Prague. I'll find it. 
Could be anything else. Okay. But it needs to have that same... That, that is apparently what I'm looking for at the end of this year. Long-term compositional complexity. Regardless of sound or whatever. That makes sense. Challenge accepted. Yep. Um, I also want to say that hopefully in the new year we'll get back on writing articles for you guys. Um, I'm trying to get back into the swing of that. We're definitely going to try and build out the website a bit more. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, it's been a pleasure doing this, and I look forward to doing it in the new year. Um, everyone have a great whatever, and um, we'll Hope see. you have had or will be having a great holiday experience. And we will uh, definitely see you in the new year. Um, my pick is the first pick in the new year. I haven't chosen it yet. I'm still thinking on it, but, um, but who got- knows? It might be one of those albums I mentioned earlier. Maybe have, we'll finally get to Phoenix. Who knows? Come on. Bangers. 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 I'm going to make you choose that. I want you to use your choice on that one. Oh. I already have three lined up. Wow. Yep. Well, on yep. that note, but I definitely want to thank you guys for doing this podcast with me. It's a pleasure, and I enjoy doing it every week. I look You're forward to welcome. it. You're welcome. You should be thanking us more often. It's pretty cool, I guess. Gee, thanks, thanks Steve. <laughs> you might as well just get your final shirt and put on your rim glasses when you say that. Hey, I called out dirty projectors for hipsterism. I'm, I'm uh, allowed to. I'm not pedal? with it. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> if cool, there yeah. if there was a quote for 2013, it's at Steve's not, not with, with it. it. <laughs> Self-admitted, proud of it. Thanks and on a lot. that note, for the last time here. in 2013, be here. as always, music is life, and, and life is good. Is good.